get it going. It's time to get up. Got it. From the left circle to the goal, he scores! Beat Gustafson between the legs, and for a second straight game, the Canucks find a way to beat the Senators. These guys are here to break it all down. This is a, a good stretch for not only myself, but the team. And I knew that uh, I had some good games in me, and we had to uh, start getting wins and getting them quick. So just trying to help out in any way I can. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. I'm going back to bed. See you guys. This is the starting lineup. Here's James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine, Metro Vancouver. It is Thursday, March 18th. Happy anniversary to us working from home one year today. This is the starting lineup here on your home of the Canucks, and they keep on winning here on Sportsnet 650. James Zabalski here. Perry Solkowski there, Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass, kicking it with you until 9 o'clock this morning here on 650 on the AM dial, streaming in HD at HD3 at 96.9, or listening on the Sportsnet app. Lots to get to over the next three hours. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your submissions in for Canucks and a song. What song best sums up what you saw last night on the ice in the nation's capital? And also, 7.30 this morning, as you know, we like to play fair or foul. Give us your take. What's fair? What's foul? We'll dive in on that. You are smacking your lips. You're fired up. You're ready to go, Pear. What do you got on the schedule today? Well, we'll have a little David Amber joining us at 7 o'clock, as he does on Thursday. IMAC will break everything down for us. We get into the hoops, James. The, uh, the March Madness begins. We'll give you some good T-deals on that with Alvin Williams. But, man... I, I just wonder, we get into fair and foul, and I, I get a sense from the text line, the post-game show last night, that there was a group of Canuck fans that are kind of sour that they have watched their hockey team reel seven of nine, win even when they're not playing well, go, eh, they're not good, it's just Demko saving them, and in a sense are bitter by what's been going on with the home team. Am I wrong with that? I think there are people that are, uh, there is Team Tank that is upset right now. This is Team Tank is upset. Team Tank is not a big fan of what's going on. And if you consider a team that has all of a sudden won seven of nine games, that certainly doesn't help for the quest for another Hughes brother to land in the draft or to have a high selection. And I guess the other worry is that, oh, my God, does this change the narrative of what this team's plan is at the trade deadline? But Jim Mm -hmm. Benning... Uh, had everybody rolling their eyes in this market, what, two weeks ago, Pear, where he was, ah, there's 16 games to go at the time. But what we're seeing over the last little while, look, I would say this. For anybody that's hating on what we're seeing right now, pump the brakes. Like, this is pretty ridiculous. Like, this team has been set up to fail, right? Like, this team has been set up to fail over the last how many weeks, right? There is Your depth has been ravaged, Pear. You're missing your best offensive piece of player. No Elias Pettersson. There's no Jay Beagle. And and you know what? Listen, Jay Beagle, you may hate the dollar price, mm-hmm. but you know what? He's good as, as a fourth-line setter, right? He is a difference maker when he plays. At least he competes, right? No Beagle right now, right? No Roussel. Pearson gets hurt last night. Jimmy Vesey, who they picked up yesterday, we'll get to that. He's not available. Like, this is a team that's been set up to fail for recent games, and they deliver seven of nine now. 
and creating a sense of doubt here for this market going, man, okay, maybe they're not tanking, but like this is a team, Perry. I think what you addressed were there's some sour people on Twitter. Man, this team has been put in a position to tank, and they are going in the opposite direction, and it's mainly because of one guy, and this is the spectacular rise of Thatcher Demko. But he's your guy. Right, and the text line already hot, but I, I'm, I'm a diehard. I, I don't wait for these two years. How long? Listen, they're winning with what they have, and what they have is not a lot. But what they also have, is it their fault that their goalie is the best goalie in the world right now? No. Is it their fault that they hang around? And you know what? That You know, Niels Hoaglander made a play like you go, okay, what have you been in this league for six years? The patient of the kids to stop, hang on, and feed Bohorvat. Something he did exactly the same thing on the Monday, but both couldn't finish celebrate that. Like, I just think people get tired of celebrating. Uh, hey, you know what? These guys are working hard. They're getting you're it done. You're, you're Thank celebrating. You're, Thank- you're, the only, the only, my only nitpick on that pair is you're celebrating a play that should have been a penalty. Like, an, an egregious uh, call on that, too. Right? Like, come okay. on. Like, to trip up Thomas Shabbat at the line. Like, that, I mean, the Canucks got away with one to start, right? And I think the officials made up for that with the puck over the glass late in the game that could have cost the Senators a penalty there. But, like, nice play by Hoaglander to finish for the feed over to Bo. But, man, how he did not get called on that on Thomas Shabbat, wow, wow. But, James, he still had to make a a brilliant hockey play on a two-on-one that obviously he has that in, in, in his toolbox, that, you know what, next time I want a two-on-one, whether I get there fairly or not, I've got this ability to stop and drop, Bo, go to the net, put your stick on the ice, I'll hit you. Yeah, you want to take the whole play in context? Yeah, you're kind of thinking, how did you get away with that? But when you did, you made them pay. Um, so at least it, it, you put it up on the board. But there are things to celebrate here rather than just going, okay, I can't believe we're winning ugly, they shouldn't be here. They've got themselves back into a position of being 500. They've got themselves back into a position where if they can win their next two games, they are now in the conversation and it's not a pipe dream anymore. And it just seems to me like, hey, I'm the first to say, good first period yesterday. You look like a team that can play. And then, man, there you are hanging on. You're giving away a two-goal lead and you get lucky and you're playing a goalie who's never played in the NHL. (laughs) Talk about things falling in place. But they're there and it just seems that there's people that are bitter. Oh, man, we shouldn't be there. Let's be done with it. Get a better draft pick. No, keep on playing, learn something, and play these pressure hockey games. Okay, first thing uh, first thing to address there, uh, Bo Horvat. Uh, spectacular first period from Bo. Probably his best period all year. You know, with, with the goal, the finish, uh, a primary assist. Man, I was shocked, but looking at the numbers this week, Bo Horvat only has six primary assists all year. Like, I was kind of surprised. Yeah. Wow, only for your second-line center, you're kind of like, oh, I think you need more there. But with, with Bo Horvat... Well, your winger hadn't scored in 11 games. Yeah, and, and that's fair. But, I mean, would you say that Bo Horvat has, you know, had a lot of spectacular feeds and passes to, to set guys up? I, I just don't... Like, Bo, to me, is more of a finisher than a playmaker. And with that in mind, I, I think Vasily Podkolzin, when he gets here, just might be the tonic that Bo Horvat needs for a longer-term solution. 
right? Like Bo is more of a finisher than he is a, an innovator of offense in terms of a creator, right? Like I don't think he's he's less a playmaker and more of a finisher in terms of what we've seen over the last year specifically too, right? Look at the way he played in the in the bubble last year um, and look at his offense so far this year when he goes up and down with his offense. But Pod Colson's more of a playmaker, and I do wonder if he'll benefit from that uh, going forward once Pod Colson gets here. Uh, big hit, though, on Brady Kachuk. And then, you know, like you said, um, to benefit, right, like Joey Decord, and and he gets hurt, man. Like, there's there's this wonderful story, and over the course of the week, like the Senators are on their fourth-string goaltender last night. You know, to kind of pull this one out, Pear, like, you kind of caught some luck. I mean, tough break with Tanner Pearson going down. But, man, imagine being the Senators right now. Think about where the Canucks would be right now with a fourth-string goaltender. Yeah, hey, think about where the Canucks would be right now with an average goalie, let alone a four stringer, right? To they, me, they'd Bo be where Horvat, they were. At the, they were. They would be where they were a month ago, right? Where where Demko was. Demko was average at best at the start of the season. You know, much like Braden Holpe. Yeah, and the team in front of him was average. I, I think structurally they're better. For me, Bo Horvat, it's it's will and effort, right? I mean, I don't even look at the numbers, but Bo Horvat coming over and and last night it just like Bo was going to make sure this hockey team was winning except in a shootout, how the hell do you not get a shot on goal? Like, I'm just thinking that kind of, you got your win, you forget what Bo Horvat did in the shootout, he lost the puck, didn't even get a shot on goal. But I just, he can hit everybody. I mean, if, if the odd time Jake Vertana would just hit the bodies that he's within two feet by, just to press him up against the boards. I know the Kachuk uh, hit is one people will talk about, but when Bo was around, he's a big guy that just rubbed people into the glass, and that's going to change things for them. I, I think, you know, we, we made a big thing about, JT Miller playing center and saying, you know, I, I just feel more engaged. Hey, we're never talking about Borhov out on the wing. He's got to be engaged every night, and he certainly has been. To me, he had that will that he had in the playoffs. Yeah, there was that scoring side to him, but he just came to the ice and go, you were going to notice him because if he didn't create a chance, he was going to rub somebody into the glass, and he was going to say, guys, that's my shift. You follow up. He was a leader yesterday. I love, I love this game. Yeah, without question, I thought that opening 20 minutes was Bo Horvat's most noticeable period of the season. Uh, here we are, what, 33 games into the year. Uh, and, and the Canucks now just one game below 500, right? It wasn't that long ago where this team was six games below 500. They're scratching and clawing, and now they've got a double shot against the Habs coming up tomorrow and Saturday night against the one team that's absolutely owned them so far this year. Like, you look at the North Division setup and head-to-head this year, you know the Canucks now five and zero against the Senators. They're two and three against the Oilers. The Flames they're two three and one. Winnipeg they're essentially a split two two and one. The Leafs they're two and three, and then uh, Montreal two and five on the season. So that's tomorrow. Bins uh, in Langley texting in at six fifty six fifty, and I want to get to this here pair. Uh, but what Bins is saying that Ottawa team was working its bag off. They did not want to lose their fifth straight to Vancouver. I want to give some credit and some love to the Senators here. Like, I, I, I actually, watching those two games, I'm glad the Senators, and look, it doesn't really mean a whole lot in the standings for them, but I'm glad they got a couple of points there. They they deserved a better fate. Uh, you know, in some respects, they got two out of four points. I think you can, from a Senator's standpoint, you can almost look at it and say, hey, we got a split. But that's a team, man, you look at the kids out there, they're noticeable. They play. I thought DJ Smith wasn't going to last six weeks into the season the way this team started. But you know what? 
that DJ Smith was almost set up to fail, right? Taking a job, new head coach, first job, and trying to teach a bunch of young players how to play. Kind of like the Island of Misfit Toys out there. I like the way that this team competes. They play hard, and, and it's the kids' team right now, right? Like, they're not quite ready for prime time just yet, Pear, but Stutzla, Brady Kachuk, Batherson, Norris, I mean, there is a lot to like up there up front. I think that blue line still needs some work, and obviously you got to solidify what you got in goal, but I like the way that that team's showing up to compete. Well, when this team got on a roll, it was because of Matt Murray, and when this team was terrible, it was because of Matt Murray. But if there's a young uh, Sabalski in Ottawa right now who's 9 or 10 years old and loves his hockey and likes his home team, he's going to have some fun. They're really easy to cheer for. Um, and they've got an awful lot of talent there. And right now, it's kind of like, you know, you, you look at a Quinn Hughes and a Petey. You don't put a whole bunch on them as far as the X and O's is when they're that young. You just say, go play and learn with it. And a 2 nothing lead in that hockey game and going, okay, the Canucks get the next one at 3, they'll be okay. But if they don't, this team's coming back. And that's exactly what they are. I have no problem watching the Ottawa Senators. And, you know, you, you normally say, uh, all right, now, who's coming in? Who's the superstar? But they are fun, and their work ethic when they're down might be better than some teams with the superstars because they just don't give up, and it's a learning experience for them. So it's not like Ottawa is easy. You know, Canucks have manhandled them. But look at other teams. You know, what the Leafs, the problems they've had with the Ottawa Senators. The, the Habs have had their issues with the Ottawa Senators. So, you know, if Vancouver continues to play well, Ottawa will certainly be giving them some help because they're still going to get a handful of wins before they're done this year. Can we can we talk about that save or was it a save or not a save in the shootout though? Like the no kick save. save? I mean, I like that was like that was ridiculous. Now now here's Thatcher Demko when asked about it last night and kind of burst the bubble here, but here's Thatcher Demko on that Drake Batherson shootout play. I actually don't think I touched that one. Um I'd love to take credit for it. But uh, <laughs> I think uh I think it went off the post, but I was just trying to get something, some net coverage. Um, but yeah, if you guys want to write down your articles that I got a piece of that, go ahead. Man, I watched that. I, I watched, must have watched it about 10 more times. I'm like, I was convinced he got a pat on. I'm not letting that go. I mean, what uh, just looked ridiculous. Like sitting there on the couch and watching that live, it was just, oh my God, what a stop. That's what I wanted my goalie. That kind of honesty, because really, 9 out of 10 people are taking credit for that, right? Thatcher Demko is never going to be that guy waving the glove around and going, hey, did you see that? Um, but sometimes when, when you're making the saves that he is, you just automatically, James, I'm like, you're going, holy smokes, look at that stretch. There's that pulled groin that people are telling me, Perry, you can't play Demko all the time. He's going to pull a groin and the season's done. I'm playing him Friday, and if he wins Friday, he's telling me whether he's playing on Saturday. He's just been that good. Uh, but guess what? He's, just, he's got that calm, calm demeanor. The expectation, I think, amongst these guys, right, when they score, and, yeah, there's no fans. It's just, you know, Brock's shot was terrific in his, in his opportunity to get this team going. And it's just like, well, I'm supposed to score. They're supposed to win. Um, and you know what we did get? Let's hear from Brock Besser. James, we've got our first big game clip of the year because Brock's looked at the standings, and he knows what's ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all checking out the standings and kind of seeing where we're at. Um, but, um, you know, we can't worry about that too much. We just got to focus on each game, um, you know, one game at a time. And, um, you know, like I just said, I think these two games in Montreal are going to be some of the biggest games of the year that we've had so far. 
you got there. They're searching towards 500, but James, here's what's crazy. You go to Puck Daddy and see what the odds are. We talked about it yesterday. I think it was a 7.1 chance this team is getting into the postseason. So you check this morning going, all right, well, let's see what happened. You picked up your pair of points. It's actually gone down, right? As the games disappear, Montreal picks up a point. They've got a like 6.9% chance of getting in the playoffs. But that changes if you can get four points in Montreal. Well, you're running out of runway, right? Yep. You've got 23 games to go in the season. You've got four before you get to a break. At some point, you're going to have to play Braden Holtby again, right? Like at some point, I don't think I don't think Bra- I don't think Thatcher Demko is playing all 23 games remaining in the season, right? There's a window to get Braden Holtby back in here for one of the two games. You signed him for a two-year contract at a little over four million dollars a season. At some point, you're going to have to go back to Braden Holtby. I think these next two nights, you got to give Braden Holtby a shot here. Mm-hmm. I understand where you're saying that, but you know, do you think that the Canucks, if, if let's let's just let's just play hypothetical here, because you're talking playoffs, you're talking about hope and stirring up, you know, the fan base to give everybody a reason to believe here. And I'm sure you're not the only one out there, but do you think that the Canucks need to go 23 and 0 in the final 23 games of the season to get into the playoffs? Well, no, not at all, right? Um, but I just think you're on such a roll. If Thatcher Danko is good again and beats Montreal, you ask him, do you got one more? I mean, who are there? what's more important, the team you were chasing or if you've got one against Winnipeg? All games are massive. I just think I would play Thatcher Demko when he is on a roll that, you know, likely the best he'll have all year. I mean, let's be honest, Thatcher Demko is not saying at this kind of a save percentage throughout. He will come back and be a really good goalie, but he's not going to be sensational, which he has been now. So it's just when do you roll the dice um, and, and, and make which your decision? Which young goalie says no, though, right? Like, you know, that, that's, not, well, that's, not, that's, not a go- that's not a goalie's call. Like, that's going to be Ian Clark's call. That's going to be the coach's call. But, like, what, what young goaltender is going to say, you know what, just not feeling it tonight, guys. I'm okay. You know, I, I like, think no. You're going. You're going. No, I, I I disagree with that. I think you've built a relationship. Ian Clark would see something in the movement. To me, the biggest stat yesterday, not that they were up two nothing, and there was about there was about five minutes left, and and he'd only faced like five shots. I'm going okay. That that's your best period. You can go up to love, and he's only had six or seven shots in the period. And he's not working as hard. That went the wayside in the final forty minutes. But I I think Thatcher Demko is a philosophical guy that is honest. And, hey, how honest is he? Uh, I didn't make that save, but if you want to give me credit for it, great. I believe he's got that relationship with Travis Green that he would say, nah, it's probably best. I, I, I need the rest. Get me set for Winnipeg. Um, I believe he will have the conversation, and he might be able to make that call. But first, you've got to win on, on Friday. First, you have to win on Friday. They don't have to go 23-0, and 0, but, you know, they can maybe lose four or five more games, and maybe that's not good enough because everybody's picking up points. Winnipeg-Montreal didn't help them with the three-point game yesterday. Uh, I, I do want to get to Canucks in a song here momentarily at 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line and get to ours as well. But uh, we're almost 20 minutes into the show, and we have yet to discuss the uh, newest member of the Vancouver Canucks as the Woo-hoo! Canucks yesterday claiming Jimmy VC off waivers from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, he arrived in time at the rink but couldn't play. So the 27-year-old drives from Toronto to Ottawa, uh, which is about four and a half hours, depending on how fast you drive on the uh, on the 401 highway between the two cities. Uh, he participated in warm up, 
before being listed as unavailable for the game due to a work visa issue. So because you're a U.S. citizen, VC's visa only applies to one NHL team. So that's why he couldn't get the paperwork done in time. Uh, here's my only thought with Jimmy VC, Man, like this guy was a sought-after free agent, what, about five years ago. Uh, former Hobie boy. But my only thought is you just added – a, th- a three-year-old version or or a version of Adam Gaudet that's three years older. That's my only downside. Like, look, they need they need bodies right now, pair, but they got a guy who's essentially a tweener, right? I don't think he's offensive enough to be a top six player, and I just don't think that he's quite energetic enough to be a bottom six guy. He just kind of – I think he's a warm body for now, but there's a reason why I think he's on his fourth team in three NHL seasons. Well, I uh, I like the move. Jim Benning, being that Boston guy, has loved Jimmy VC for a long time, as did everybody in the NHL. Yeah. You just thought if you can do it in college, you'll be able to do it in the pros, and he never has. They, you, you actually look, hey, maybe he's got a 20-goal year in him, but you know, don't we think Jake Vertanen had a 20-goal in him? It's team potential again. Uh, the one thing I do like about the move is is the cost is good. If that's the guy you wanted, you know, way to look at the waiver wire, go make it happen. And if you're looking at moving a Tanner Pearson or if you're looking at moving an Ian McIntyre, will join us at eight. He suggested, you know, maybe an Anton Rossell if somehow you can drop that ticket. You don't need picks. You do need an NHL body. And Jimmy VC is an NHL body. Um, has he lived up to expectations? No. Do you think that a change of scenery is going to change it? Well, he's changed scenery already a handful of times. Uh, but I don't mind the move. I don't mind the move, but I think it's more of, hey, we still think he has potential. I'm not well, what's sure What's your expectation? For you. So, but what's your expectation well, if you like a guy who's 27 who has obviously you've had three teams that essentially cut bait on him? You're an NHL body. I mean, I, I think if people think he's doing more, that's it. Right? He's got Is a he pulse. Any... He's got a no, pulse. But but James, <laughs> what's what are you getting from Anton Roussel? What are you getting from uh, Harlock? You know, what are you, what are you getting from Mark Michaelis? Like, do you not think Jimmy Vc is better in that sense? Like, he's a better depth player with more NHL experience. But is he changing things? No, but he's a body, and he's an NHL body. He he's a guy who has shown uh, an ability to flirt with twenty goals in a season, though, right? He's what yep. hit seventeen twice in an eighty-two game season, uh, sixteen in another year. But um, but a guy who. You know, kind of like what you saw a little bit from Adam Gaudet last year. I, I just wonder, are you going to get enough out of him? He's a big body, though. He's 200 pounds. He's 6'3". So you're obviously tantalized by the size, but just hasn't really kind of found a home in the National Hockey League. So uh, more on that. Ian McIntyre will join us. David Amber coming up just after 7 o'clock. David, obviously, uh, from Hockey Night in Canada, has seen a lot of Jimmy Vesey this season as well, so we'll dive into that. Uh, Canucks in a song. Okay, where do you want to go with yours this morning after watching that? Another shootout victory for the Canucks, now 5-0 and against the Senators. I went through the uh, musical catalog of Nickelback. Yeah. I went through the musical catalog of Michael McDonald because mm. I feel I'm on a roll. It's just pissing Balak off. Uh, but at looking at that game, it was tough to figure it all out, uh, what the deal was, what the difference was. And I almost looked at it and thought, okay, you know what? You got the four points, but at the end of the day, you squeaked by in both games. So I thought, let's go to some little classic rock and roll with you two. One. Did I
if we asked too much, but by the count of one in both games, they picked up the two wins that they needed. You two won. My Canucks and Assam. What'd you go with? Um, it wasn't even a final one in the uh, in the game, but uh, yeah. I so my song. Look, I am in they denial mode in both uh, games. Okay, all right. Okay, I see where you're going. I I am in denial mode this morning based on my Canucks and Assam. And despite the fact that Thatcher Demko said he didn't get a piece of it, I am still in denial mode because my song, inspired by that stop on Drake Batherson in the shootout, I'm going old school. I'm going a little tribe called Quest. Can I kick it? 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 Sure as hell looked like he kicked it to me, and Canucks are certainly kicking it these days, having won seven of their last nine games. They are rolling right now. Yeah, I'm not big on that song. People are texting in. They're not big on mine. I'm not big on your choice. Make it better, people. I will say that was uh, our both our Canucks in a song. It becomes difficult, right, to think outside the box, but I'll give you the fact you look for it. You're hating on um, you Tribe Called job. Quest? Like, you have no moral yeah. authority to hate on Tribe Called Quest when you drop, like, Doobie Brothers and Nickelback in less than a week, man. Music is subjective. Music, <laughs> And you know what? As I'm looking at Nickelback, I thought, I should look at that Rockstar video. I haven't seen that in 15 years. How did they get Gretzky? How did they get the people involved? They got some decent stars to be part of their video. I, I miss the Nickelback love, I guess. Tomorrow's poll question should be, should Perry lose his Canucks in a song privileges? Yes. <laughs> no, I've had some really good ones. I've had some really good ones. But it's just the Michael McDonald was funny, and now, honestly, I am just looking at the most obscure and the worst songs to go they fit. And then it makes those who participate with the Canucks in a song by texting us at 650-650 to feel better about themselves. I'm a team guy, Balak. I'm, I'm passing the puck all the time to make others look better. <laughs> it's Perry with an eye, Balik. There you go. Uh, 25 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this Thursday morning. He's Perry Solkowski. I'm James Sabalski. Greg Balik on the other side of the glass. And coming up in a moment, man, a big, weird night for the New York Rangers. And you may not like what it is, but I'll explain what the Sabres are missing and what the Canucks have in their respective rebuild. That's a major difference. And as we go to break, East Fan Tommy with some love on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. He's got his Canucks in his song from the Rolling Stones. It's Win and Ugly here on your home in the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Yeah, it's night by me, and uh, yeah, I feel bad. I feel terrible. Obviously, they, you know, they scored on every chance they got, pretty much. Did you consider pulling Jacob Markstrom at all? Or you... Not for one shift, second, minute, anything. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Meanwhile. 
Thatcher Demko continues to stand on his head. Uh, tough night for Jacob Markstrom as the Oilers uh, finally hand Daryl Sutter his first loss in his version 2.0 return to the Calgary Flames as the uh, Oilers uh, thump the Calgary Flames 7-3 last night. Daryl Sutter's got to learn to wear a mask, I think, as well, right? The old, uh, the old uh, nose hanging out of the mask uh, behind the bench. At least he's trying, though, but they finally, they finally show a human side last night in Calgary. Well, you know, as usual, you, you get that initial charge when you get a new head coach, and he comes in. How much do you change systems? I would think not. But hopefully you maybe intimidate and go, guys, it's all going to be about hard work. But Jacob Markstrom masked a lot of problems for the Calgary Flames in the first month in the opposite way from the Vancouver Canucks, where they couldn't make a save. He was making all of them and gave the Flames some points. But, you know, for them to get manhandled like they did, and they scored a couple late to make the score, not that 7-3 looks any better, but, I mean, they were getting absolutely blown apart. I'm not so sure about that, Calgary. And all the conversations we've had, James, with those around the Calgary Flames, it was never Ward's the problem, the coach is the problem. It's, ah, there's something inside that room. Um, and we'll see how they bounce back after getting absolutely stomped by the Oilers last night. Yeah, I mean, like, just kind of a funky night, right? Because you see that play out the way it did uh, between the Oilers and the Flames. But how about last night in, with the Rangers and the Flyers? Wow. And, like, and just like it was weird before the game, but it was all about the second period last night, and it was Mika Zabinajad, or as they like to call him in New York, Zabinagod, who just went unconscious. Balak, hit the music. Well, in terms of the explosion <laughs> for goals here that now he here went off Here comes Zabinajad all alone on a breakaway shorthanded, and scores! Finds a breaking Zabinajad, who scores! Touchdown, Rangers! They're up 7-0. Kreider to Zabanajad! The hat trick! It was 9-0 before the end of the second period last night. Uh, crazy. So Zabanajad with six points on the night pair, uh, and he becomes the second player to join, making history last night, tying former Islanders great Brian Trache as the only players to score six points in a period of an NHL game. Trottier did it 43 years ago against the Rangers with three goals and three assists back in December of 1978. And they did it. Like The Rangers did this without the regular coaching staff as well last night. Which, which tells you what. By the way, uh, Zabinajad, the first ever New York Ranger to get a natural hat trick with the goals being even strength power play, and shorthanded. It was that kind of bizarre night. So what do you do if you're, you're Chris Knobloch comes in there, a guy who coached and played at the Kootenai Ice and uh, played at the University of Alberta. You know, he's put his time and was at the Flyers organization. Like, what is he supposed to say to those guys? And, James, to me, it makes me wonder, all right, what influence is there from a coach? Obviously, he told those guys to just go up and play and you know, stay with the system. But I'm looking at a Rangers team. Quinn's got a five-year deal as a head coach. He's been through three by the time this is done. They're probably missing the playoffs. Does that become the impotence for ownership to go, you know, how did we get that? Like, you do without a coach, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? For one game and a, and a period yeah, that just, I, like, the bottom fell out? I, 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 I think you're reading too much from a coaching standpoint, don't you think? 
Well, I'm just thinking, I bet you uh, he is behind the bench. He will be the next man to coach this team, whether it's next year or two years, wherever they fall short. But how does Based that on one game? Yes. I'm saying this is the start. <laughs> this is fair or foul. Fair or foul, Knobloch will be the next head coach of the New York Rangers. I don't know when, but because of, uh, remember what he did? They were great that night. They loved playing for him. That's how sports works. It's not happening next year. But he's the next guy behind the bench, and he would be anyways with the AHL team in all likelihood. I, I, I just think that the Flyers got embarrassed last night. Like, they just rolled over and died in that second period, right? Like, this was – it was 2 nothing after the first 20. It, you know, the, the bottom fell out in the second period. So, I don't know if it was necessarily a coaching strategy for, you know, Chris Knobloch, who finds out that he's got a – run things as he's uh, he's on the ice and practice in Hartford earlier in the day and then finds out, oh, my gosh, you're going to New York. I don't think I can give Chris Knobloch that much credit, but I, I are you related to Chris? Are you related to Chris Knobloch after this? Uh, he went to the U of A. I had a conversation <laughs> with the Stanley Cup winner, and I won't give his name, and he said to me, listen, we won that Stanley Cup despite our coach. He goes, honestly, we as players knew exactly what we were supposed to do and sometimes we just thought, yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll handle it ourselves. I do believe at some point we give so much credit to coaching that it's what you have in front. And will Sutter turn it around for the Flames? If not, is it because he's a bad coach? No. Did the Rangers play just carefree because they had every built-in excuse for them yesterday because all their coaches were gone? Yeah. So I, I sometimes think coaches get too much credit for what's going on. Uh, no, I think, that, you know, I remember there was a famous quote from Steve Shutt that uh, for 364 days a year, you hated Scotty Bowman, and on the 365th, you raised the Stanley Cup. By the way, uh, some breaking news this morning uh, regarding the Buffalo Sabres. Um, they have canceled left this morning's skate because of a member of the team's hockey staff has entered NHL COVID protocol. So an announcement on today's game uh, schedule will come out a little later on. So... Uh, just when you thought things were that bad for well, the Sabres, guess what? Hold my beer. And this, the sad point is the Sabre faithful are going to hit social media and say that's the best news they've heard. <laughs> um, right? <laughs> they will, that's the best news we've had all month. Yeah. They've canceled the game. Can't lose yeah. if you don't play, right? Uh, that brings us to today's edition of Seaball Says. He may not be right, but he says it with confidence anyway. I need all of you to stop what you're doing. Seaball says on Sportsnet 650. So Jim Benning, he's got his hockey warts, right? He's got his fair share of detractors. Thank you, Jim. And if the Canucks ultimately do miss the playoffs, it would probably come as a shock to most of us if Jim Benning was still in charge by the time next season rolls around. Thanks, Captain Obvious. But in light of what's happened in Buffalo over the last 24 hours, Benning gives the Canucks one thing that the Sabres have lacked for roughly eight years. Continuity. Has Benning stumbled? Absolutely. Are there misses? Erickson, Roussel, Yolevi, Bertanen, Goodbranson, Schaller. There was the attempted retool. Need I go on? Okay, kill him! He's made his mistakes. But there's been one guy driving the bus during this time, at least in Vancouver, and quite unlike Buffalo. 
for all the question marks about talent on the ice, look at how many times the Sabres have changed directions from a leadership standpoint. In almost the same amount of time since Benning took the job, the Sabres are now on their third GM. When it comes to coaching, the Canucks have had two in seven years. The Sabres have had seven different coaches in the last eight years. Think about that. Seven different head coaches in the last eight years. Compare that to the steady years where Buffalo had for roughly 16 years, where Darcy Regeer and Lindy Ruff held the positions as GM and bench boss. It is awfully hard to get a real sense of direction for an organization when it is constantly changing course. Look, the Canucks' road back to respectability hasn't always been pretty, and it's been downright brutal at times. But which rebuild would you rather? The Sabres have had a first overall pick, along with a pair of second overall selections since 2014. The Canucks have never picked higher than fifth. Rebuilds aren't fun, but continuity has made a difference. And give me Van City's rebuild all day over the mess in Buffalo. And that's this morning, Seaball says. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Uh, forever linked, right, in 1970 when they come uh, together. And, and I'll say this. I think, obviously, you know, people wonder how medicine the ownership is here in Vancouver with the Aquilinias, and it's their team. They have their say. But give them credit that they may be telling Jim which way to drive the bus, but they're, you know, Jim gets to have his hands on the wheel. They may go, you're turning right, but at least it's him. They're not, they're not bringing in new drivers all the time. And there's something to be said. The issues in Buffalo are not just coaching. The issues in Buffalo have been from an ownership, from a GM, and try and fix it now rather than having patience. And there's been a lot of patience for the Canucks to get to where they are. They might have to change it now. But, yeah, that's an absolute mess in Buffalo. Uh, it is not pretty. Um, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line, it absolutely swamped with Canucks and the song submissions. We'll try to get to more of those just after 7 o'clock. David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada is going to join us. Per, uh, one listener taking issue um, about your uh, your song selection oh, here this morning. And yes, one. I think you 2 is uh, much better than Nickelback and the Doobie Brothers, but... Um, Somebody pointing out that the U2 song that you had chosen, one, uh, is about premature um, ejaculation. Listen, to the Listen, you can't go the number of songs about heartbreak and all that stuff. You just have to find a section of the lyrics, right? That's what you got to do. If we were going to go into it and dive into what it means, I found 17 seconds that fit. People are coming at me. Uh. Honestly, I don't know where I'm going next. Uh, we're in Montreal. Is Rene Samard still singing songs, James? I'm going to find something for Friday. Oh, my God. Fit, fit, fitting, fitting that you found a 17-second sample of a song about premature. Anyway, uh, speaking of no BS, Perry. Oh, uh, there's lots of BS ahead. There has been in the first 45 minutes of the show. Alex Edler's played more hockey games at the Vancouver Uniform than anybody and pro sports in this city recently. Who's number two on that list? Uh, he was celebrated yesterday. That's not BS. It's BS. We'll give the answer ahead. 644 on Sportsnet 650. He always tries to be ahead of the game. Harry was in front. Finding stories that matter. Sort of. We call BS. You want answers. I want the truth. It's not BS. Just P.S. 
with Perry Solkowski. 6.49 on a Thursday morning. A lot of facts and figures going on in the world of sports. Uh, it is not BS. It is PS. PS, everybody. As you may know, Alex Edler, when it comes to professional athletes in Vancouver right now, he has served this city and his team the longest. But who in this city is the second longest-serving pro athlete? Wide leaves it for Russell Tiber. Russell Tiber. Looking for Kofi. Kofi. Can he cut it back? Kofi to Tiber. Can you believe it? Russell T. It's a good suck up to the boss. Hey, not a bad call by McEwen. Whitecap supporters giving a plaque yesterday to honor the 10-year anniversary of Russell Tybert signing a contract with the Vancouver Whitecaps, James. He's the guy who's wearing a Vancouver uniform next to Edler longer than anyone else in this city. It's kind of surprising it's been that long. He, man, you talk about what that guy has endured and weathered and with the continuity. It's A couple of years ago, I got a, a collection of cards from a gas station of Whitecaps cards. And, he, you know, each one of the kids got a, got a sheet. And I actually went through this about two months ago, looking at the card. And I think there's one player left on each of these cards, like this, you know, collection of cards. And there's about ten cards or nine cards on them. And Russell Tybert's like the only guy still standing. And remember, he was the guy who kind of called everybody out at the end of the season a couple of years yeah. ago, Pear. And he was the guy that stayed. He's here. I don't know if his role is any bigger now with the new players brought in. But, you know, it, it's funny. Russell was a good hockey player, and he had told me a story that they played a provincial championships in Ontario, and it was kind of him against Tyler Sagan, right? That was the matchup. And and we were in San Jose once, and the Dallas Stars were, saying, and we were staying there. And I saw Sagan, and I said, hey, man, here's who I am. This is who I wanted to cover. Do you remember this kid? He didn't. But, you know, you always remember the guy you played against that made it. But good on Russell Tybert. Been here for 10 yeah. years. Uh, as he gets set to go. Hey, uh, P.S., uh, we're ready for some basketball today. Bring on the madness. Here we go. Welcome to the NCAA Tournament. That song is so good. I love it. Tournament time, but it's awful different surroundings with COVID. Buffalo Wild Wings is one of the restaurants that is in the bubble that's available to the uh, players in the NCAA. They announced on Monday... Uh, they had to deliver to 36 teams, 1,224 players are looking for some wings on Monday. You take advantage of free food if you're a college kid, and they are with Buffalo Wild. <laughs> I always remember reading uh, Mitch Albom's uh, book about the Fab Five and in the tournament, uh, you know, Jawan Howard, Chris Webber, Jalen Rose, Jimmy King, Ray Jackson, they couldn't get enough of Popeye's. And I was just thinking, like, these are finely tuned athletes just crushing the fast food at that particular time. I, I had even more love for those guys than I did. It's funny, though. Like, today is there's just the four games, right? And then tomorrow yeah. is where the real madness starts compared to schedules in years past. But one shining moment, man. Absolutely love the version by Teddy Pendergrass. Teddy Bear Pendergrass many moons ago. Pal, I think I could go back 35 years and find some tapes with one shiny moment every oh, day yeah. to watch it. You, you make sure you were by the VCR, right, at the yeah. at the end of the tournament. At the, as they were signing off on the Monday night, you hit record to get that 33-minute that montage there. Yeah. Uh, P.S., nice move by Mike Johnson, former Vancouver Canuck coach, um, now with the Portland Winterhawks. They announced their captaincy. They used a 95-year-old fan 
Ars to announce the team's captain. As you know, I'm very proud to say that I have been a season ticket holder for 44 years with Emerson. And in all these years, I have sat in the same seat in the Coliseum. And one of these days, I will be back in that seat watching you play. You know, you have to think differently in this world we're in right now to bring on a long-standing season ticket holder. And that lady was ready to go. She did a wonderful job. Portland Winterhawks changing ownership this year, but there's a franchise that's moving the right way uh, and getting stuff done. Man, she sounds sharp as a tack at, oh, she uh, was. at 95. And, and you know, like, and I don't, and I don't mean to be condescending in any way, shape, or form, but to see how we are living longer lives, society. Like, who was it? Norman Lear just got recognized at the Golden Globes there a few weeks ago, the creator of Archie Bunker and Good Times and so many iconic shows. He's 98, and listen to him, like, you know, and he's got his what? Yeah, I mean, he had a kid at, like, 75, right? I mean, we are living longer. We are living healthier. It's like 90 is the new 50, it seems. Yeah, and P.S., I'm bringing it down. There's some sad news. We talk about the NCAA, James, but here is one guy as a kid who made a name for himself. Here's the wild for Bradley from Childs. You know, you've been mentioning they've been moving Bradley away from the lane. It does open up the spacing, but he's so valuable down low for a lob at 7-6. Yeah, at 7-6, Sean Bradley was easy to see when he saw him in play to bring him young. Had a nice NBA career, but here's a sad story. It was about four weeks ago. He was riding his bike. He's only a block from his house in Utah. He got hit by a car, finally made a, a, sent out a message yesterday. Bradley, a spinal cord injury has been left paralyzed from the waist down. Everybody in the NBA and the college basketball community uh, trying to help him, what he can go through. But, man, there's a guy. You're that big, you're that tall. Uh, he went on. He was a shot blocker, man. He could play. He could play the game. You know, it didn't quite pan out the way that I think the Philadelphia 76ers had hoped at the time. Uh, second overall pick behind only Chris Webber and goes ahead of Penny Hardaway, Jamal Mashburn, some pretty good players at the time, but yeah, he always stood out because he was seven six, right? Mm -hmm. And man, like, like just a total string bean when he broke into the NBA as well. But that's a sad story, pair. Like, just I was just awful to see and read that yesterday when it kind of broke into the uh, the news cycle. It's a memory and a reminder to all of us as we deal with what we are, uh, live every day, man, and enjoy everything. So nothing but the best for him. All right, five minutes. No BS. There we go. Five minutes to seven o'clock. Uh, Canucks big winners last night as they pick up another two points against the Senators in the shootout win. We'll dive into that. Plus, check in with David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada. And we'll do it next here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Got it. From the left circle to the goal. He scores. Beat Gustafson between the legs, and for a second straight game, the Canucks find a way to beat the Senators. These guys are here to break it all down. This is a, a good stretch for not only myself, but the team. And I knew that uh, I had some good games in me, and we had to uh, start getting wins and getting them quick. So just trying to help out in any way I can. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. I'm going back to bed. See you guys. This is the starting lineup. Here's James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. 
7.03 here on this Thursday morning. James and Perry kicking it with you. Uh, today, rain in the forecast, and, like, it looks like it's going to rain for, the, like, the next 40 days based on the forecast uh, long range. Sobalski, Solkowski. Uh, David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada is going to join us here momentarily. Can I, you know, can I just point out how lovely those Irish jerseys were in warm-up? Like, man, can you make uh, that a regular thing? Like, actually wear them for a game at some point? I like the green. Man, I'm I'm with you. Why not? I, I, I wish there was more. I, like, I would imagine with the NHL rules, what we can see with some of the great jerseys that people come up and warm up in, you wish you could take them all for the entire 60 minutes. I liked the look yesterday. I mean, to me, that just would have been the ultimate play to come up with that. I'm with you, man. I Listen, there's nothing going wrong. The Kings had their old screw retros out, the purples yesterday. You can't go wrong with different looks on the jersey. And I know from a marketing standpoint, I'm not a jersey guy, but I love it when the look's completely different for your team for one night. Yeah, no, it was fun. It was creative. The over-tannins, the O-Hughes, uh, just a fun way to kind of embrace it uh, last night. I, dude, I totally went down the road of, Back to my 20-year-old days yesterday where I actually put some food coloring in a beer yesterday and had green beer really? last night. Yeah, yeah, totally did it. So so you weren't at a bar. Nope. You're, you're with your significant other. Yep. You pour yourself a beer, and mm-hmm. you actually found food coloring, of which you would have, I'm sure, for the kids yep. to make your cakes, mm-hmm. and you turned your beer green. Totally. Wow. All right. Yeah. We took the kid. Well, actually, first, first things before we did that, we went to we we took the kids for shamrock shakes at McDonald's, which is a true way to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, is it not? Those shamrock shakes are fantastic. Great, don't like them, but nice move. Yeah. Oh, you don't like mint 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 chocolate chip ice cream? No, no, I don't know. I no, there's nothing there. No, there's nothing. I like shamrock shakes. I like the alliteration. I like saying shamrock shakes. I'm not a fan of anything mint. The uh, the Adam Gaudet shootout winner, I couldn't help but remark last night watching Vertanen and Gaudet together in the third period last night. Boy, like misery loves company, right? Seeing those two guys together, you know, in the third period, it couldn't help get me thinking, boy, two guys that are just made for each other. And like what a story that would be if those two could kind of figure it out together as a, as a oh. duo, right? I mean, when you consider where – where they were a year ago, how they both offensively have gone off a cliff, you know, throw Jimmy VC with them. And there you go. The redemption line. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's funny how you watch a game because I'm watching it. And my comparison was with Quinn Hughes and Jake for and tell me if I'm wrong. I thought they both play this game and it looks effortless, right? Mm. Quinn Hughes. It doesn't look like he's trying. He's so good at what he can do. And Jake Vertanen sometimes, damn it, it just looks effortless. Oh, like, they bump, they like bump into each other. Yeah, yeah. I'm not just – I don't know. Sometimes I think Jake's worried about pulling a hamstring or a groin. Just the number of times you look at guys that bury their heads and just go. Uh, Jake just doesn't have that look to him half the time. You know, right? you know, I mean, you know, pair. But I did, I did think about this last night. And look, I think there's a lot of uh, dirt thrown at Jake, and and you know, he's brought a lot of it onto himself, but. Is the way that this team plays sometimes just not maybe his made for him? Like 
This is what, a team that doesn't. Well, I would no. I was just gonna say like this is a team that doesn't necessarily generate a ton off the rush, right? Like when they really kind of get going, freewheeling. Like it's not an overly fast team, right? I think team speed is still an issue with this club. But you know, even watching, you know, Vertanen with an opportunity in three on three overtime. But there's Jake bringing up the rear. There's there's Hughes lugging up the puck, and he's kind of slowly bringing it in. And it's just you know. Man, when you've got that time and space, like how are you not hitting Vertanen on the rush? Like, and then look, I'm not going to say that Jake Vertanen's Connor McDavid, but look at McDavid when he gets he, you know, he does that big swoop right and picks up momentum. Like Jake can go, Jake can fly, right? To give him that sort of opportunity, like let him go, take that big 747 turn, pick up some speed, and then hit him in the rush. And on three on three, like just a to create that sort of havoc for a defender to try to contain a guy that size, I just sometimes wonder if he's just miscast with this team. Like I said, he's brought a lot onto himself, but I do sometimes wonder, is he given a chance to succeed in that sort of, you know, to use those wheels? And I like the fact that he's getting those opportunities and getting auditioned in overtime and that, but, you know, with him kind of slowly bringing up the rear, like that's not his strength. No, how? Uh, listen, I will never say like the fact that you said. I wonder if Jake Vertanen has been given a chance. Just means you had too much green beer last night. He's been given nothing but for five years. And I also wonder, you know, in overtime where you got to scoot and find space, when in the world does Niels Hoaglander get that opportunity? Like Travis Green is like that. You know, Quinn Hughes put him on the number one power play. Took forever to get there. Be curious as to when Hoaglander gets an opportunity on a three on three from the head coach, but. Uh, yeah, listen, hey, they got the win. Leave it at that. You got to Ottawa. You needed four points. You achieved that goal. The way you got there was leaning on the guy who puts on the mask again. But you're slowly creeping towards 500 hockey. And as Brock Besser had said earlier when we played it, uh, boy, what they have in front of them Friday and Saturday, 48 hours, that may shape this team into a real playoff conversation or go, it was fun while it lasted. Thanks for March. Well, they're what, 15, 16, and 2 now on the season. Um, they're a win away from getting back to 500. I would say this. If you can get a split here in Montreal, I'll, you know, I think that's a win for this team. Uh, you know, honestly, well, like, and, and, I understand, and I understand the urgency. I just, you don't want to lose any more ground to the Montreal Canadiens. You don't want to lose any points. I mean, if you could, if you could in theory, get at least two uh, if you could pick up at least a point more than what the Habs, like, say, hey, lose one in a shootout or an overtime. But, you know, it's hard to expect a team to go 4-0 on a road trip here, right? I think if you get a split, I mean, we've talked a lot about how this team needs to essentially, if you did the math going back, what, about almost, what, seven, eight games ago, they needed to go 21-10, and 10, I think, down the stretch. Well, they've just won 7-9. and nine. Right, and that math pair is essentially winning two out of every three games. Well, yep. you, you took two with three, you took two with three, and now you've just won two. Like, you know, even if they lose tomorrow night against the Montreal Canadiens, they've continued that math of two with three, right? They've won seven of their last nine. You know, they lose tomorrow night, it's still seven of ten. You know, if they win tomorrow night, now you're talking eight of ten. Like, you, you look at the compression of the North Division schedule outside of the Leafs, it has tightened up. Like, it's still a long shot for the Canucks to do this, but there's a conversation here where they've narrowed the gap, and when they get that week off, I think that'll be really telling to see, 
just what some of these other teams can do, whether they separate themselves from the pack or whether the Canucks are still within striking distance once these teams finally play all these games in hand. Because the Canucks are going to be a rested bunch once April rolls around. Well, and, and it's just the math and the number of games, as we said earlier. The fact that they won last night and the percentage of them making the playoffs actually went down. You know, tonight they watch Edmonton Winnipeg, so some, someone continues to build that gap in between them. Yeah, one of two, the conversation continues because of the pace they are on. Um, but, you know, to me, I think that they look at it. If, if you can come up with both against the Habs, move in front of them, all those games in hand, it's going to be hard for the Canucks players to watch hockey next week when they get their break and see that whenever they return, no matter what happens, the gap is even bigger because you've finally had your rest and games in hands are coming back to kill you. David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada joins us here bright and early on this Thursday morning. David, how about that Thatcher Demko story? Are you guys taking notice there in the Hockey Night in Canada land? Yeah, listen, I hear, I'm hear i hearing doom and gloom. Are you guys already talking about the games in hand? I mean, we I joined you last Thursday, and all the Canucks have done since then is, you know, take six out of a possible six points. It's not pretty. Uh, they're certainly not making it easy with these overtime and shootout wins, but they're doing what they have to do to stay relevant and stay in the mix. And, you know, as you guys said, if, if they could sweep Montreal, and that's going to be a tall order, but if they can find a way to take four points against Montreal – uh, you know, we'll be having a different conversation on Sunday. They'll be they'll be a little bit more in the mix. Uh, they have a ton of work to do, but Thatcher Demko, as you said, I mean, James, he's been sensational. He's looking. You know, Elliot last week was saying, forget about Patterson and and Hughes, but mm. you, you better make sure you get Demko his money too, because he could be that cornerstone goaltender that the, the Canucks covet now that they've lost Markstrom. So. Uh, things are looking up in Canucks land. It's getting interesting in the North Division, and I think it's going to make for a really interesting stretch run the next six, seven weeks. Um, are you surprised, and you watch Ottawa more than we do, uh, the Canucks had to scrap against this team. Is this team better? You know, we talk about the Canucks going, hey, they weren't as bad as their start, and now they're playing better. Uh, all we do is see Vancouver pick up two points against Ottawa. Dave, that's a better hockey team that I think people give credit to, aren't they? You know what? You know, they are. Listen, they didn't have any goaltending for the first month of the season. Um, you know, with all due respect to Matt Murray and, and Hogberg, uh, you know, they weren't making any saves at all. And it, it's tough when you're going out there, you have no confidence, and you're, you're letting in four, five, six goals a game. Uh, the goaltending has settled down. It, it was sad to see Joey Decord go out with that injury. It doesn't, you know, didn't look good, didn't sound good. Uh, we don't know exactly how severe it is. But, you know, they're now on to their, their third or fourth goalie of the year. Um, so that's been a, a key issue. But when you look at this team and you look at the cornerstones between Brady Kachuk, Stutzla, obviously Shabbat, they have a good young nucleus, and they're going to add another part in the draft. Um, you know, Pierre Dorian's done a pretty good job. You know, they have a, a bunch of second-round uh, draft picks, again, coming up this year. So he's, he's stockpiled some futures. And remember, this team was just, what, three, four years removed from getting – to the to the Eastern Conference Final, and and they were within you know Game Seven overtime against Pittsburgh to to going to the Stanley Cup Final. I mean, think about that. Uh, and every single piece from that team is gone now. So they really you know completely rebuilt, and it's been a rough road the last few years. But I, I do see some better days ahead. They are sort of that pesky sense team. They're not an easy out. DJ Smith has the young guys playing with confidence. You know, the Bathersons are showing flashes of what they're going to be in the next couple of years. And Josh Norris 
as well. So they have a lot of good young parts, but they're clearly a few years away from being, you know, an elite team in the National Hockey League. And it wasn't that long ago that it was Pierre Dorian who said your level of that that infamous clip, Amber, that your level of suckage <laughs> is high, right? <laughs> Remember that? And, and and they're fun, but they're fun. They like they show up to compete. I think for any t- any market that wants to see a rebuild or has to endure a rebuild, you want to see that hope. You want to see that optimism. Where okay, if you know if you're going in with a youth movement, you want to see that progress. And and we've started to see that here in Vancouver, obviously in the last few years with the rise of Besser first year, and then it was Pedersen and Hughes. Uh, Hoaglanders obviously got people excited, not to the degree of what you know Pedersen and Hughes are certainly uh, mm-hmm. the ceiling that they have, but you know it, it, that's what you want. You want you want hope, right? And I think that's what exactly the Ottawa is kind of giving their market uh, right now. Yeah, and there's been pain. I mean, let's not candy coat it. You know, oh. they finished thirtieth, thirty first, and thirtieth the last three years. And right now they're residing near the bottom handful of teams in the NHL. But what you want to see essentially is a team that's not going to lay over. I mean, the, the opposite of Buffalo, really. Like, it's funny. Buffalo and Ottawa, there's not a massive difference right now as far as what the standings would say. But the feeling in those two organizations couldn't be any further, uh, you know, apart. You know, in Buffalo, everyone's it's doom and gloom. It looks like, they, you know, they're starting from scratch. And what are they going to do? And everyone wants out of there. And it's a, it, you know, it's a tire fire. And in Ottawa, you have a situation where they have a, a young nucleus. They have a coach that seemingly is getting the most out of his players. And there's some optimism that, hey, we've got some good young parts here. We are going to be competitive. And guys are going to give it their all. We're not going to win more than we're going to lose right now. But we're going to make it hard on teams. I mean, we saw that when they came back from 5-1 down against the Leafs uh, on the road. We saw yeah. that in the last few games against Vancouver. I mean, this is a team that at least, you know, they're kind of getting back that identity as the pesky Sens, you know, or the, the Sen Sickos, you know, as they're labeling them now. And, and at least they're going out there and they're putting in a, a proper effort and there's going to be some growing pains along the way. But I think fans can handle that, as you're saying. It's more just let's see the effort and the results will come later. He is David Amber of Hockey Night in Canada, joining Perry Solkowski, James Sabalski, the starting lineup on Sportsnet 650. Um... You know, I think it says a little bit, David, about your team when you're kind of excited about what you can get off the waiver wire. It is different because of the economics this year. Uh, tell us and the Canucks listeners what um, the Canucks acquired in the one guy who at least is willing to do anything to try and play. He'll jump in a car and drive to Ottawa and try and play <laughs> in, in Jimmy VC and, and what he will bring to this team. Well, it's interesting, Perry. I mean, there's a bit of an enigma there. It's, it's funny. And you want to look back all the way at the beginning of his career, right? This guy was highly coveted out of, out of Harvard. There was a bidding war, essentially, to try and get their hands on, on uh, Jimmy VC. Uh, Nashville goes, and, and they take him, and they couldn't come to agreement with Nashville. And then Buffalo went and, and traded the rights from Nashville, and then he wouldn't sign with Buffalo. He, he essentially determined that he was going to go to the, to the Rangers, and that's where he starts his NHL career. And there was a lot of promise there. And, you know, here's a guy who's showing some flashes. You know, he scored over 15 goals three times. He uh, can play, you know, a fast game. He's a big kid, you know, 6'3", 205. He's got all those sort of requisite attributes you're looking for, but sometimes it all doesn't come together. And I think that was sort of the situation in Toronto. They tried him up and down the lineup. He played as far as up as the first line. He's played all the way back to the fourth line. And, you know, he didn't really get the traction over 30 games with the Leafs. So here's a guy who went from being incredibly coveted to now being, you know, essentially expendable as far as the Leafs are concerned. But I should, I should preface that by saying, look, they have Alex Galchenyuk, 
who, who they who they grabbed off uh, the wires, and they're able to um, have some depth on forward with Galchenyuk, who's now, I guess, practicing with the main team and, and could see his Leafs debut uh, tomorrow night against Calgary. And then you've got, you know, Wayne Simmons, who's injured. So for, in, the, in the Leafs' case, he was ex- expendable. You know, he was an extra part. Um, in Vancouver's case, I think here's a guy who maybe with the right, you know, chemistry, the right fit, could be a serviceable guy. It certainly was a low-risk move, right? $900,000, he's a pending UFA. It's, you know, he's playing for next year's contract, so he's completely motivated. Uh, I, I think it made sense. Uh, because he does have requisite skill and you're going to need, you know, especially with the amount of injuries that Vancouver suffered through in the last couple of weeks, it, it made all the sense in the world. And you're able to just bring them right up the, the 401 up to Ottawa. So it worked out nicely logistically as well. Um, you know, is he that 15 goal, 17 goal score that we saw earlier in his career with New York? Well, the last few years would say no, but he certainly could be a serviceable part and a guy uh, that could do some things for Vancouver. Thanks, Dave. Nice to catch up, man. Time flies. I feel like we just kind of scratched the surface. But, uh, thanks for t- dropping by this morning. Yeah, anytime, guys. Be well. All right. There Thank he is, you. David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada, weighing in on uh, what he's seen from the uh, Vancouver Canucks, Thatcher Demko, and uh, you know what? Picking up four points against an Ottawa Senators team that, uh, hey, look, are they destined to finish last in the North? Yes. But do they show up and compete? Yeah, and they got some pieces. Like, they've got some pieces that uh, I think you can legitimately look at and say, you know, like, I, I, th- I think, like, next week, I think, uh, you know, the Upper Deck uh, Series 2 uh, series comes out for this year's hockey cards. Man, a Tim Stutzla rookie, probably not a bad card to have for a long-term yeah. investment pair. No, they're, they're a good hockey team. They control the play in overtime. They're going to, uh, if the Canucks keep pushing forward, they will get some help from the Ottawa Senators because the Sens are not... Uh, they're as choked as anybody that they got beat by the, the Vancouver Canucks in games that they feel had an opportunity both nights to uh, leave with two points. So uh, I have no problem cheering for the Ottawa Senators this year. They're fun to watch much more than they were in the last couple of years. You know, I was all amped up watching one of those commercials during the broadcast last night and seeing, oh, hey, ICBC's going to save me some money, but not so fast as we bring in Sonia Aslam from News 1130. Aslam, <laughs> hackers everywhere, people stealing social media accounts and, I guess, getting into ICBC, sliding into their DMs, I guess. Now. I'm getting, like, Sandra Bullock, the net vibes. Like, there's a floppy disk just laying on someone's desk that just got in the mm. wrong hands. Um, yeah, there's a there's a throwback. Yeah, so ICBC, the checks for the rebates were supposed to go out this week. That's not happening anymore. Everyone was supposed to get, well, everyone with a car insurance policy was supposed to get about $190 as a one-time rebate. But someone or some people cyber attacked the third-party vendor that ICBC had hired to send the checks out. Now, ICBC is saying that no one's personal information that they know of right now has been compromised, but the checks that you were supposed to be getting, you will not be getting right now because they have to figure out what the heck happened. So there is a slight delay. I don't know what slight means because it's such vague language. You know, slight is it two weeks? Is it three days? Is it six weeks? Is it a month? Like, no one knows. So, uh, yeah, cyber attack number duh, because uh, TransLink was just cyber attacked a couple of months ago. Like, Well, that, that's what I wonder. And, and yeah. you know, the, the tough part is, did they ever give us any information from TransLink? I'm automatically going, there's somebody out there that's smarter than TransLink, smarter than ICBC, and are picking and choosing. Like, whatever came of TransLink? Yeah, so TransLink said, yeah, personal information was compromised. 
and the personal information of their employees was compromised. So we heard from the bus drivers union and they said, you know, we're waiting to get paid. There's backlog, there's issues. And we know that the system itself was affected, you know, so that that was on a much bigger scale. And that was very similar to an attack that happened on the Montreal subway system. Uh, previously, so it was very similar. But they never find these guys, do they, Sonia? Do they? Can they trace? No, it again, Sandra they... Bullock. Someone's got to call Sandra Bullock. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't find these people that we know of. We have no announced arrests or any updates um, as to who's behind it. It's all very, you know, it's on the dark web. It's someone behind the scenes. And the Translink one was scary. Like they were getting ransom notes being printed internally on their office, like on their office printers. Like it was, imagine you're sitting at your desk and there's stuff just being printed out of the printers next to you and you have no idea where it's coming from or what it's like, what's going on. So the ICBC one isn't on that scale, but this is money that people were really hoping to get. There was so much yeah. hubbub from the province like, hey, we're going to give you 190 bucks. And now it's like, uh, can you wait? Just wait. <laughs> it's in the mail. It's in the mail. It's not wait, even in the mail, though. That's the problem. It's like, oh, man. So hopefully they can figure it out. And I don't know, like. Do we need more IT, like security? Like I'm trying to figure out what's the problem here. These are two Uh, big. Why is it always in BC, right? We just like a nation or or just a province of a lot of hackers, or or just somebody, (laughs) or somebody, some global espionage team. You know, something uh, you know, like Cobra from uh, GI Joe or something. You know what? (laughs) Why don't we target? Hey, I got the spot. Let's go after. British Columbia. Yeah, like that's two big major agencies that have been attacked. And it affects people. Like first and foremost, it affects people in our audience. It affects you. You're yeah. waiting for that money and you're like, what's going yeah. on? I don't and know. even if we're not hit, how about consumer confidence? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like if nothing else, right? Cryptocurrency, like- <laughs> man. I don't believe any of this stuff. I don't trust it. Yeah. It's so safe. It's super safe. Yeah. I know. I know. It's been a tough go the last couple of months. On the positive, Thatcher mm-hmm. Demko is still badass and goal, He right? looked like he was in the zone in overtime. Sorry, in the shootout. Overtime was yeah. sort of a mess, but but yeah. the shootout. And, you know, I feel bad for, uh, was it Horvath who sort of lost the puck? Like, I don't know what that well, was. Well, he gives so you bad that belief, right? Oh. Yeah, no, but he gives, like, Demko gives you that belief that when you get to the shootout, like, honestly, if you're he a Canucks fan there. watching that last night, was yeah. there any doubt that they weren't going to win that game when they got to the shootout last night? Like, you know what? Take my chances with Thatcher Demko. Uh, yeah, like I'm still, I was, I was, and I'll be honest, I was highly critical at the beginning of the season of both of our goalies because I just didn't have confidence. And I think Demko is, you know, he's getting there. Uh, my biggest disappointment is obviously Holpe. You're supposed to be a number one and you've been sitting on the bench for a couple weeks. Um, so let's figure that out. But no, I was very impressed with Thatcher. He's done, he's done really well. He's doing exactly what I always hoped in our goalie, just like Marky, just like Lou, is you have to stand on your head with this club as a goaltender to keep us in the game some nights. And he's doing that. Yeah, that's the problem. But he is doing it. There you go. Now all you need is a good Friday night with the Canucks win, a nice Saturday night with the Canucks win. Yep. Maybe you find out your ICBC check coming in the mail <laughs> and everything is good in your world. Those two next games are huge. We're only, uh, what, two points behind the Habs. They have four games in hand, so uh, that's not great. But, man, if we can win tomorrow and Saturday, ideally in regulation, that's big. That's really big. 
There we go. There you're talking hope. You're telling me there's a chance. Thanks, Haslam. <laughs> Thanks, boys. See you, buddy. Later, there she Sonia. is. Uh, Sonia Haslam from News 1130 with the latest uh, going on in the world. Oh, yes, another hack in the province of British Columbia. All right, 26 yeah. minutes after 7 o'clock. Uh, 6.50, 6.50 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your takes in, your submissions, fair or foul. We're bringing ours next here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Here's your Canucks in a song. Oh, Jay and Lady Smith with a great submission. Uh, a little can con at that, too, as uh, Billy Talent hanging by a thread. <laughs> That's kind of the Canucks playoff hopes right now, right? There. Um, hey, look, team's got games in hand, but look, focus on what you control, what you can control right now. And and we heard from Brock Besser in the post game show last night, and um, we heard from him earlier this morning, you know, saying, "Hey, look, they're looking at the standings, and how do how do you not right? You want to see where you're at, and I think everybody is starting to kind of take a peek at where the standings are." Um, Hey, they put themselves back into the conversation anyway, right? Whether you believe it's possible or not. And, but for people to sit there, pair and hate on the idea of what's, you know, the idea of, hey, this team is screwing up the tank. I mean, this team has been set up to fail, right? Right now in the last few weeks, when you look at where this team is at, You've lost your best offensive weapon for the last couple of weeks with Elias Pettersson, and the earliest he's coming back is next week against the Jets. But honestly, if he's missed this much time, why would you even bring him back against Winnipeg next week, right? Give him the extra week, then you give him the week off. There's no point in trying to rush him back at this point and have him healthy with the extra week off. So you got no Elias Pettersson. You know, Jay Beagle, you may hate his cap hit, but at least the fact is the guy shows up and competes and is a solid defensive zone guy. Um, you know, you don't have him right now. Roussel's sidelined. You know, Tyler Mott finally just came back. But for the better part of the last two weeks, pair, this team has played without essentially a third of what their best 12 forwards would be on a given night. And they're still finding ways to win games, having taken now seven of the last nine. I, I, I'm just surprised how easy it is to hate. And the expectations for every team, any team, any league, are always so great uh, before a season starts. And to have the first impressions that Canucks did for that first six weeks, man, everyone, this is it. Get rid of Benning. It's not going to happen. So then you get that mindset that I think people fell into that, uh, all right, like we are nowhere near being a competitive team. Well, and they're not towards the Stanley Cup. But is it is it the team's fault that Thatcher Demko is part of the organization, that he's been schooled and groomed the right way, that now he is in such a groove, he is helping them win their hockey games? It almost seems like they were apologetic for their efforts in Ottawa, yet they won the hockey games. And did they beat a plucky hockey team? Yeah, they did. And there's more people that are being more positive about what the Sens can do and how good they are than the fact that somehow, as you mentioned, James, they're banged up, they're missing their star player, what they have is, hey, let's get some good goaltending. Let's capitalize on special teams. They won the hockey games, and it just seems that people are kind of, eh, yeah, no, this isn't going to help our cause. It's going to ruin everything. Jim's going to say the team's good enough. No, he knows the team's not good enough. But take some credit that these guys have shown enough heart, had some lucky breaks, 
and have pulled themselves back to, to getting you set for 48 hours in Montreal that makes them a big part of this playoff conversation, something we didn't think was possible four weeks ago. Uh, a sense of hope, right? A sense of hope. Uh, all right, uh, 650-650, uh, dump our lumber text line. Get those submissions in. Fair or foul, let's hear your take. We'll determine whether it is fair or foul. Let's get Greg Ballack in here on the other side of the glass uh, as well here on this Thursday morning. Uh, fair or foul, boys? Jimmy VC is Adam Gaudet OG, the original version of Adam Gaudet. Um... I'm going to say that's foul. I'm going to jump on the Jimmy VC bandwagon, although we haven't seen it. I would make the Jake Vertanen comparison more so than Adam Gaudet. I'm not throwing Adam Gaudet. We don't know what we have in Gaudet yet. It's his first really healthy year. Second year, knowing he's part of this club. Uh, Jimmy VC's had some time. I think he's more comparable to Jake Vertanen where there's potential and hope uh, than Gaudet. I think Gaudet still needs some time before we make that decision. Yeah, I say that's foul as well. I, I get where you're going with this, James, the whole Hobie Baker college player thing, but they're different. They're not the same player. It's on his fourth team in three years. Another lifeline. God, that's not. So I how mean, do you compare I mean, there's, I mean, I would say that there's been some I, – I just think the expectations about this guy being this wonderful scorer I don't think has quite panned out here to this uh, to this degree. Uh, let's stay with college hockey, guys. And in the Boston area, fair or foul, uh, BCHL product, uh, Alex Newhook, friend of the show, makes an immediate impact in the NHL as soon as he joins the Avs. Balak? Well, I'm biased. <laughs> as a BCHL guy, uh, I think he, he absolutely makes a, an impact right away. Uh, I had the luxury of seeing him play for a couple of years in Victoria, and He's a game breaker. He he's just so smart on the ice. He's not always the fastest guy. He's not always the the biggest guy out there, but he is just an intelligent player. And I think he adding him to that Colorado Avalanche crop, it, it's it's not fair. It's really not fair. <laughs> Count me in as a positive Perry here this morning, but you know, having had him as a guest on the show in years past, pair I will uh, consider him an honorary friend of the show. Not that he would probably consider us a friend of our show, but. I'm, uh, I'm giving it a thumbs up. I'm going fair. Balak, what do you got? Well, sticking with the uh, the trend that we had going this morning already, uh, he hasn't played a game yet. Fair or foul, but Jimmy VC is already the best JV on the Canucks. <laughs> foul. Come oh, on. Foul. Jake's got J- eight. Jake's had more goals in a single season than Jimmy VC. Not by I'm on much. team. Jo- I'm on team Jake on this one. Not by 18, much. 18 beats 17. BC, I'm on team BC Jake. wasn't a first round Shout pick either. Shout out to Shotgun Jake. Somebody get me a beer. I'm gonna shotgun a beer right now. <laughs> hey Balak, you know what one of my favorite fouls was? That by the time this team comes back home, uh, <laughs> Jimmy VC's higher on the depth chart than Jake Vertanen. I think it's fair, pal. See, has more goals. So, Potentially. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's fair. I think it's fair. Uh, here's a fair or foul. Keep the submissions coming in. I like this one. Sign your text too. Fair or foul from now till the end of the season, the old boys in Sutter and Beagle need to play as a platoon. One in, one sits. Ensure they still ha- stay healthy. Sign your text. I tell you, um, I like that. I don't mind that at all. Uh, I think it's a unique idea. But do you need both? Uh, you know, they're both of them. It's kind of more of the same. I thought Sutter played well, skated well yesterday. 
You miss Beagle, but you have too much at center ice. Give Goddard a chance at center. I like that call. I think that's fair. Do you trust Adam Goddard in a checking role? No. Well, not me. So, I, I know you're the you're um, you're the president no, but, of the Adam Goddard fan club. But, but I, if I he's in just, a fourth line role. If Sutter's your third line center checking, he's in your fourth line. Give you some minutes, right? I, I think Adam Goddard at center uh, in a bottom six role. I, I don't trust it. Ballot fair or foul? I wasn't paying attention. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's foul. That's a total foul. Uh, Two fair James or, out. Okay, fair or foul? Hire hackers to take care of cybersecurity. Mm. I say that's fair. Something. I like that. Yeah. The I like police that do that already, don't they? Or I thought I like that was already. A thing. I like that submission from the Dunbar Lumber text line. I feel like there's been enough movies about that, right? You hire the hacker to kind of. Well, what was that the Leo DiCaprio movie? Catch me if you can. Was that was that Leonardo DiCaprio? He was a con artist. Yeah. No, I know, but that guy was hired by the cops. Yes, yes, he was. Right. Eventually, the cops hired him and said, "You know, you tell us." How this is how this is all done. I've got we've had her on the show. Uh, my cousin uh, is a stunt woman, a big stunt coordinator in, in with Disney and does all those Avenger movies. She was telling me once when she was 16, she looked older. So she was pulled uh, pulled in from a bar. Hey, you've got fake ID. She did. She actually got into a conversation with the police about this is how everyone's doing it. And they said, you know what, can you come in the next day and tell us? <laughs> so why not? If the cyber hackers are getting it done, if you find them, go, you want to work for us? Come on our side. That's that's how it's done. And sports, if there's a guy who you can't get, you know, if you can't beat him, join him. Hey, you want to come to our team? That's completely fair. like it. Uh, fair or foul, guys. On the first day of March Madness, you always look at a bunch of schools and you find of some you've never heard of. Grand Canyon University? Who knew? I'm all in. <laughs> You're in on Grand Canyon. St. Mary's, Mount St. Mary's plays tonight. And given our conversation that we had with uh, Robert Sacre yesterday, who is obviously a Gonzaga alumni and former Los Angeles Laker, listening to his sheer disdain, his sheer disdain for Mount St. Mary's, kind of like, you know what? I'm going to take St. Mary's tonight to get the job done here because uh, – <laughs> That obviously, if you've got that much disdain, there's something there. There's something there. It's the best yeah, part touched- of March Madness. That's I say that's fair, Perry, because finding these random schools and seeing them actually do well is is part of the excitement. The best part. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the, the, exactly the first it. two the first two rounds, right? The the hope mm-hmm. the hope and the allure of a, a shock and awe upset. Um, that's always the fun. That, that that 12 seed usually provides a lot of shocks. Uh, yeah, you know, every year. That's that's always the one area you can kind of keep an eye. Those twelve seeds bouncing out the fives. Hey, fair foul, guys. Joey Decord's gnarly looking leg injury proves we just can't oh. have nice things as NHL fans. Ah, oh. I was so sad when I saw him go down. Well, and like honestly, it's funny. I was messaging with somebody the other day on Twitter, and you know, they were they were kind of ranting on how. Joey Decord is, you know, hey, look, the Canucks are simply beating an ECHL goalie. Said, yeah, come on, give the kid a week at least before we start hating on the guy. And what what did this story last? Four days, right, from Sunday night when he beats the Leafs and just the, the most thoughtful, emotional interview after the game with Kyle Bukoskis and, and already, and that looks like, I mean, that does not look good as he was trying to track the puck, no. trying to follow Jake Furtanen going behind the net, and uh, and down he goes. 
Farrah Fowl, sign your text. Uh, someone saying, when PD comes back, Canucks roll out a top nine. Uh, we struggled to find a top six. Now they got a top nine. Besser, PD, Hoaglander. No, I don't like it. That line's not, not physical enough. Uh, VC, Miller, Mott. Uh, VC and Miller will play together. They have played together. Horvat, Godet, Pearson. Eh. You're moving the deck chairs. I do think VC gets an opportunity in the top six. Though. So that mind. guy's getting rid of uh, Vertanen, I guess, trading. I, I don't mind Godet getting a chance to try to contribute offensively. Um on I the just, the, but the but the PD Besser and Hoaglander, I just don't know if there's enough snarl. No. I agree. Uh, I, I, seven, you can't go that small. Yeah. All right. Seven forty-three. Uh, your Canucks commute coming up at the top of the clock. We'll talk to Sportsnet Canucks insider Ian McIntyre. Hey, listen uh, for your chance to win a hundred-dollar gift card courtesy of our friends at Zephyr Epic. The pass the puck contest going on. If you were paying attention last night, it could happen at any time. Just saying here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet six fifty. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 749 here on this Thursday morning. Canucks winners again last night. Now taking seven of the last nine games. Now it's a double shot in Montreal tomorrow. James Sabolski, Perry Solkowski. Hey, golfers, get great Vancouver golf for less. All you got to do is go to discountgolfcard.ca for all the details and order your Vancouver discount golf card today. Uh, by the way, you also heard the uh, Pass the Puck contest uh, up and running here this morning. Listen for your chance to win. People dialing in frenetically here this morning, pair, for a chance to uh, figure out who passed the puck, which lucky winner will know which Sportsnet 650 talent got sent in all alone only to uh, misfire in a shootout like Bo Horvat last night? Well, listen, I've been in a couple shootouts, and I might have that ability to do it. I think when you got the, pus, the puck past you, you just dump it in. Dump it in, go for a line change like Jake Furtanen on three-on-three. Three. You know, Hoagland, it, it, two things. Uh, first off, I can't believe that ICBC conversation has stirred so many people up, and we're going, I paid this amount for my car insurance, now I'm here. They suck. Screw that company. Uh, we'll deal with, with all the hackers. Um, when does Hoaglander get to play in overtime? Like, that is what, to me, you know, we talked about coaching and the Rangers don't have their coaches. They win 9 nothing. Travis Green, I guess it's just like, you know what, you don't give, it, you, you don't give any praise to anybody just yet. Because Jake Furtanen, you know, I would say the same thing. When does Jake get his chance? He's had his opportunities. He looks scared in overtime. Put a whole glander out there. You just wonder if the kid might just go space. Great. I'll get it done. I, I know you're banging the drum on it. Um, it seems to be working for the Canucks these days right now at this point. I, I hear you. Um, you know, and what about a shootout, I, James? But, but here's the other thing, though, Pear. I, I think the other thing is, look. This team's playing to win right now, right? I think Travis Green is probably coaching to win at this point in time. I think if this team is out of it more, uh, maybe you see that opportunity and give them that sort of flexibility. But you're also the same guy that's saying, you know, you want Thatcher Demko to play back-to-back -back nights on Friday and Saturday, which I don't love that idea. But, you know, if there's a sense of urgency and desperation, I don't know if now is the time to say, ah, let's give this kid who's – known to have some defensive shortcomings at times. Let's give him a shot. 
Well, I just think it's, a, are you playing to get to a shootout? And maybe they were, that they don't give them that opportunity. You, you know, even in the shootout, you look at the young guns that the Senators put in and go, okay, they're, they're going to do something here with the talent they have. It'll make it difficult for Demko. Uh, you wonder how far the list do you go down before you go, let's give Hoaglander an opportunity. I've never seen him in a shootout. You know, the move he made to set up a Horvat, you know he's got skills with the puck. We've seen numerous times the lacrosse goal and what he did in Sweden. You've got to think like a kid like that is probably pretty quick with the stick on the shootout. I'm just curious as to when he gets and is he moving up in the pecking order. Hey, they won. No one's going to talk about it. Certainly on social media last night, you're going, okay, at some point does does he get to jump over the boards on three or three? How far down the list is he in a shootout as well? Fair enough. Uh, 650-650 is our Dunbar Lumber text line. We ask you after each and every Canucks game to play Canucks in a song. Uh, here's some of the submissions that we've been getting over the course of the morning. Andy says when you've won 7-9, you are rolling. That's why he's going with Limp Biscuit rolling. Back, back, back Love it. Love it. Every once in a while, this song can be played and you can still bop your head to it. Minor Matt out in Abbotsford. Uh, he's got this submission and the Canucks needing it both nights in Ottawa. Extra time. I will not lose sight of the prize, baby. She gonna need me extra time. Put everything on the line. Pa no pele da fica, baby. Si pa ma sobe. Savid. Is going with something on a similar sort of wavelength. He's got to leave Quelly and get by. That's exactly what they did last night. Yeah. Get by the Senators for the second, but now five and zero on the season. So getting it done. You know, we were told to have hope in this hockey team when they played good games and they lost, and Travis and the players would come to the mic and say, you know, I think if I think if we stay that way, we will get our share of wins. I guess we should be buoyed by the fact that we've watched them play, you know, Monday and yesterday. Better certainly in the first period yesterday to go, hey, they weren't great, but they won. So maybe they've got one in their holsters getting set for the Habs, going, okay, guys, we can't rely on Demko. Let's play a better hockey game. Montreal struggled last night, so we'll see what they can come up with. So take that as the positive. You're winning games you should have been awarded a month ago. You're getting them now, and you put yourself in a decent spot. Uh, John, the tax, uh, John the tax guy at 650-650, who probably at this time of the year, I'm assuming, probably doesn't see any of his family or friends, but he's got three dressed up as a nine. You're just a three dressed up as a nine. You're only wasting my time. I mean, not necessarily the prettiest. Um, and you know what? Another blown two-goal lead as well that we haven't really touched on much this morning, but we'll get into with uh, Ian McIntyre. But they, they pulled him out. Uh, another blown two-goal lead, but they still found a way to pick up the two points in both nights against the Senators. Now what can you do against a team that has thoroughly dominated the Canucks this season, the Montreal Canadiens? That lies ahead starting tomorrow night at La Centre de Belle. Sportsnet Canucks insider Ian McIntyre will join us next and weigh in on your Canucks commute here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. They're not coffee drinkers, but they still keep it right in the mornings. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all checking out the standings and kind of seeing where we're at. Um, you know, we can't worry about that too much. We just got to focus on each game, you know, one game at a time. And 
Um, you know, like I just said, I think these two games in Montreal are going to be some of the biggest games of the year that we've had so far. The Canuck Commute on the starting lineup. There you go, Perry. The biggest game of the year. They finally got there. They finally got there to the moment where they could legitimately say they're about to play a big hockey game. Kicking and clawing and making save after save, but they deserve it. Look, they picked up the wins. Didn't play well, but you got four points. That's all you wanted out of Ottawa. You got your four points. Now figure it out and see what you can do in Montreal against the Montreal Canadiens, a team that you played better with last time out uh, and then a terrible effort the second game of the two that they last had against the Habs. I guess the concern is, though, that there's two months to go in the season and they're dropping that now, right? So <laughs> that's the only well, issue that I would look at um, with, for the Vancouver Canucks. By the way, uh, this hour, the starting lineup, a presentation of our good friends over at Surrey Honda. Visit Surrey Honda located at 152nd and Fraser Highway where you'll find quality and community. Sportsnet Canucks insider, Ian McIntyre will drop by in just a couple minutes here, Pair. And we also have a contest winner as well for our Pass the Puck, uh, Greg Butner. You knew uh, correctly that uh, what was the what was the dynamic combination that resulted? It was Alex Edler finding who, Pair? Yeah, Alex Edler threw it over to me. Uh, I took the pass. I surveyed my options. I had enough time. I wasn't I wasn't panicking with the puck because I wasn't moving with the puck. I was standing still. Uh, and then I tried to flip it high, and up the middle it went, and Demko made a big save. I was like a real Canuck last night, so uh, congratulations uh, for the win. Greg, you got yourself a $100, card gift, $100 gift card to Zephyr Epic. And of course, Pass the Puck, presented by Can't Start Fire and Flood, your life restored fast. So here we go uh, with the Canucks, and, and look, if, you're, if you want to buy into this or not, whether this is all just simply fool's gold, fact is what we are witnessing from Thatcher Demko this is special right I mean this really is special in terms of the rise like you look at how long it took for for Jacob Markstrom as a Vancouver Canuck to kind of evolve as an all-star last year that was six years with the organization now you go back to when Demko was drafted by the Canucks he's also been with the organization for six years but you know we didn't see him for the vast majority of that time as he marinated, continued in college, and then, you know, off to the American Hockey League, where we finally kind of saw him last year. And, you know, I don't think he was solid, but anything but spectacular um, during the regular season last year. And I would say even, you know, when Markstrom went down with injury in late February, pair, you know, Demko was, he scuffled. I think he had a hard time trying to assume the mantra of being the number one guy. We saw Bubble Demko and what he did, with probably three of the greatest playoff starts by a goaltender in Canucks history with that three-game run against the Golden Knights to keep that series going to seven games in a series that they did not belong in. Now we're seeing that return where this isn't bubble Demko. Like, the fact that this guy is growing up right before our eyes and doing this now where he has effectively iced a Vesna Trophy winner and a Stanley Cup champion and Braden Holpe, who <laughs> I'm, I'm going to guess that Holpe's going to see a game here, but this is incredible well, what we're seeing here, this run from Thatcher Demko. What I like about it is, and I don't know if we give the credit to Ian Clark or you give it to Travis Green, they never rushed Thatcher Demko, right? You're going to go play in the AHL. We're going to get into a playoff run. You're going to be our guy. He did all that. All right, you've earned the backup job. 
come up here, but, you know, Marky's our guy. That's great. Then you have that playoff bubble run. Everyone gets excited, and you think, all right, we, we, you know, we're not going to pay the money. Six by six is too much. Thatcher, we believe in you, but not completely. Uh, you know, here's your Vesna winner who's going to likely take the number one role. And we had this debate with Corey Hirsch. So who's the number one? And, you know, and Hershey before the season started, well, you got a guy who won a Vesna. I mean, it's it's it should be Braden Holpe's job, and then Thatcher Demko will have to take it from him. And essentially, that's what it is. You didn't rush him, and you didn't give him anything. You gave him an opportunity. He couldn't handle it at the beginning of the year. Not completely his fault because of the way they played in front of him. And then when he had a second chance at it, he said, now try and take it away from me. And so it's been completely earned. Credit this organization for patience, for Ian Clark and for Thatcher Demko listening and learning. And you're right. Here's a guy last year when he was pushed into it because of injury, looked like it might be too much. Handled the situation in, in September when it looked like it could be too much and was crazy. And now with the opportunity to take it a second time this season, it says it's mine. And he's the envy of everything. I think they on the announcers yesterday in the game, James said that Joey Decord had talked to his dad, who's in the goalie biz, and said, like, man, Thatcher Demko is unbelievable. And he's been exactly that. And does it make the team better? For sure. But let's not kind of chew on the Canucks and go, they're not very good if not for Demko. Hey, he's part of their team, and they've groomed, and he's playing in the zone like he is. So look at where this team was at two weeks ago on this day. They began the day two weeks ago. They were 9-15-2, right? Um, Brayden Holpe had just started the last game. They got spanked in Winnipeg. So they're 9-15-2 on this day two weeks ago going into a game against the Toronto Maple Leafs at Rogers Arena. That was the beginning of the Demko run. I mean, I guess you could look at the fact that he had started three uh, of the prior four, but Holpe hasn't seen the net since. And Demko has gone on this run, and for a team that went from 9-15-2 at this time two weeks ago, they are now 15-16-2, right? So they've won six of the last seven games over the last two weeks, and you have to play, you have to play Braden Holpe in one of these two games. You know, per, no, personally you speaking, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You sign him for a reason, pair, and it's a back-to-back. And with the amount of shots that Demko has faced, you know what? You give Braden Holpe a chance to get in there again for the first time in more than two weeks. You give him the game tomorrow. You give Demko the extra day off, and you let Demko get back in there. Look, you've talked about it all season. You need two goaltenders. The way this condensed schedule is, I think Braden Holpe can get one of these tomorrow. I, 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 you know, if you play him and if you split them up and you give each guy a game, which I think is, listen, if the odds are out, the odds are that's what will happen. I'm going against it. But the, certainly the one thing I'm doing is I'm playing Thatcher Demko tomorrow. He's got today to rest. He traveled last night to Montreal. He's got a day off. You want him. You want to keep it rolling because then it's kind of house money in game two on Saturday night. But I'm going with my best. I'm letting Thatcher Demko go unless he tells me he's tired and he needs that extra day. He's playing tomorrow night for me. And to your point, James, we talked about the Leafs coming in. Leafs are rolling. They're going to manhandle the Canucks. They were 20 points better than Vancouver when that series started. The Leafs, and obviously didn't play much hockey this week, they're only eight points ahead of Vancouver. So they haven't made it ground up on the teams they needed to, but that says something about the gap they've closed in the last couple of weeks. 
Uh, Paul and Coquitlam, uh, the idea of letting Holt be anywhere near the crease in a game for the foreseeable future is completely asinine. So there you go, Perry. You're not the only one thinking that uh, it should be all Demco all the time. Let's bring in our Sportsnet Canucks insider, Ian McIntyre, to the conversation. Uh, boy, you must like these earlier starts, too, listening to you on the postgame show last night. It's <laughs> way more civil getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning for us, right? You know, James, I've been doing this uh, for years often after a home game where I'm working till uh, midnight. So yep. this is this was a luxuriously <laughs> long and restful night for me. Still a kind of a strange start of the day to get up and talk to you, Yahoos. But anyway. Oh, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> By the way, Thank good stat, though. Good stat. 20 points down to eight. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Well, That's and it's not Toronto. the team they're ch- – yeah, it's not the team they're chasing. You know what else I looked at, at Ian? It's tough to figure out. You know, you, you go to some of these websites that have your your playoff percentage, and somehow it went down yesterday for the Canucks, even though they won. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's just, are they running out of time uh, to get it done? Well, or yes, do you yes, believe they, they were running yes, out they of are. time in February. But here, here's the thing about why that gap is, is still uh, – uh, significant that it's come down from Toronto because we know that the Canucks aren't catching the Maple Leafs but what has to happen what's good for Vancouver if they're going to stay in this fight is is that the whole division compresses so you need Ottawa to to beat teams you want Calgary to beat teams as well and I know that's counterintuitive because if the Canucks are going to make the playoffs they're probably going to have to be ahead of Calgary but you basically want the bottom of the division to be winning games against the top of the division so that the whole standings compress and that everybody gets a little closer. That's what's the best case scenario for the Canucks. And, and so, okay, so a lot of people jumping in here on our Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. We were just talking about it before you jumped in here with Thatcher Demko and, and the schedule here. They've got four games to go before they hit the week-long break here, uh, Ian. What do you do with Thatcher Demko? Like, do you try to get Braden Holpe in for one of these back-to-backs? No, no, no. Or, or are you and, just and that's, that, and that's the wrong mindset as well. Like, it, right now, Braden Holtby is not a priority. So you're not trying to get Braden Holtby to play a game. You're trying to see how many Thatcher Demko can play. Thank you. And, and I would agree that you, if it were me, uh, I'm I play him Friday. And then I see how he feels on Saturday. Yeah. And if he if he feels great and he played well on Friday, then I'd I would uh, seriously think about playing him back to back. And and then you worry about next week next week. Um, but if if he says he's tired or Ian Clark notices things and. You know, Travis goes by the NHL coach's handbook, which is to split back-to-back games between your two goalies. Then you can go to Holtby on Saturday. But the priority here isn't trying to keep Holtby involved or, or trying to give him a game so that, you know, his own game doesn't completely disappear. The priority here is to play Thatcher Demko as much as Thatcher Demko can play because he clearly is the guy who has brought you back into this race. Now, well, I'm, not sure that's gonna, I'm not sure that's going to happen. They may well have decided that the goalies are going to split the games. And if they do that, probably the sensible thing, if you're going to split them, 
is to play uh, Demko on Saturday, to give him an extra day now. Uh, the team's not practicing today, but he could get extra work, and, and certainly uh, tomorrow he could get extra work if he's not playing and go Holtby Demko. But I think they should go Demko on Friday and then make the call on Saturday after Friday's game. You have to play desperate hockey, and I think you have to coach desperate hockey. And, and I was on Travis Green's case when he didn't go with Demko back-to-back after that great performance in Winnipeg, and he, he did what most do. You look at the numbers, and that's why you have two goalies. But I just completely think this team now is Thatcher Demko's. And yeah, if he and, wins on Friday, Thatcher Demko gets to make that call with Ian Clark and go, Travis, no, he's good, he's ready to go. And if, if he loses on Saturday, maybe he can go, well, he was tired. But I, let, I just let Thatcher Demko play, and he tells me he can't or he loses. It's that simple. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, the greatest risk is not that he doesn't play well. The greatest risk is that it's he hurt. gets hurt. Yeah. But there's, al- there's always that risk. And, and yeah, you can try and, and, and do try to keep your guys healthy. But at the end of the day, there's an element of luck, uh, bad luck, to almost all injuries. And uh, I think as long as, as he feels good that, uh, that they should keep playing him. That game in... In Winnipeg, it was it was a little surprising at the time that you know Demko, uh, after a shutout in, in a game where you know the Canucks played pretty well, and it's not like Demko did have a ton to do that night. Um, didn't play the next game, but that's why I say the convention is you have two goalies that you that you say you believe in, then you play them both. But you know there comes a point where you you have to you know you you want to believe in the other guy but the re, the facts are the facts and and Holtby has not played very well i mean he's allowed four goals his his last two starts he's only had one game in in his last five where he allowed fewer than three and and look at what demko's doing he's only had one game where he's allowed more than two during this run which is uh, you know, pretty incredible when you think of the pressure that the Canucks have been under in some of these games because they're not quite playing as well. Uh, no matter what the results say, they're not playing as well without Elias Pettersson as they did with him. So uh, there's been incredible pressure on on Demko within games uh, from under other teams, and then uh, that's on top of the pressure of the situation the Canucks are in and basically having, having to win these games uh, night after night. And, and uh, that's why I've said, and I believe that what, what Demko is doing now is, is more impressive um, by quite a bit than what he achieved last summer when anything would have been a bonus because uh, there's an expectation now and there's, there's a really um, imperative need for the Canucks to have him play uh, the way he's playing. I'm not sure even even uh, Jacob Markstrom, uh, and I guess I should go back and look for nine games, but uh, I, I don't think he ever had a nine-game run like what Demko is on right now. now well, Markstrom, and I think that's partly Markstrom, what makes you nervous, right, in the, fa- well, in the sense yeah, that like, I mean, know, everything, Markstrom everything broke ends, down. And, right? and, and, yeah. and Demko isn't going to save 95% of the shots the rest of this season. That's not going to happen. So uh, yes, there's going to be a correction, but you you don't want to 
you know, the correction will come when it comes. You 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 don't want to initiate a correction. So that's so why can I we, keep playing can, them. Okay, so so Tanner Pearson gets hurt last night, and, and I know somebody on social media is going to blame Jim Benning for this because he didn't move <laughs> him sooner. But 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 Jimmy VC gets claimed off of waivers. Um, give me a sense of the method to the madness here organizationally and what this means and where he fits in here once well, uh, he well, finally does get the paperwork sorted. Yeah, well, VC's a better player than it seems at the moment than than what they have at the bottom of their lineup. Plus, he's plus he's added added depth there if they if they have more injuries but he's you know he's he's a guy who was uh you know expected to be i don't know a star but you know there were a, a lot, lot was expected inter- a lot of yeah. teams interested in him and he hasn't had the career that he was supposed to uh, as far as being a top six winger but he does a lot of things well uh in the bottom six and in that respect, I, I, it was a good pickup. And, and, you know, I don't know that he's, you know, with Tanner Pearson going out, I don't know that you think that anyone should think that uh, Jimmy Vesey's going to go and, you know, play with whoever, uh, Miller or Horvat, and, and suddenly become the, the top six winger that uh, he was projected to become when he was, when he was coming into the NHL. But uh, I think he's a handy pickup. He's a handy guy to have. People shouldn't get too excited, though. He is going to be playing in it towards the bottom six, so. But he's a handy pickup. How much does Tyler Mott's return help this team? Hits, ha- skates. I mean, he was, he was missed. Yeah. Yeah, it should help them a lot because he is consistently engaged and he is consistently quick in how he plays. And when the Canucks have struggled this year. Uh, those are elements that have that have stood out as deficient. They they haven't looked quick. They they play. Uh, they tend to get static. And as as Travis pointed out in that in practice before <laughs> yesterday's game, you know, move your feet. Well, uh, Tyler Mott is always moving his feet, but he's also always engaged. Physically, no matter what the game, you know the number of hits he has is remarkable, um, and, and they're not, um, you know, he's not hitting like Ryan Reeves hits, but but there's consistent, constant contact that he delivers every game, and and that helps your team on the nights when maybe some other guys are kind of drifting through a game. Because if Tyler Mott's playing that way, maybe somebody else can play that way too. So I, I think he'll help them. Uh, he'll help them a lot. He's become their most important uh, bottom six player, and he was on the power play la- last night. And I, I think it was a couple of years ago that Travis Green said, and he used Alex Burrows as an example, that you know Mott might be one of these guys who comes into the league as a certain kind of player, and and builds a foothold in the NHL by doing certain things at the bottom of the lineup, but he has skill and we know he can skate, but he has some skill. We've seen that in the way he's been able to finish on some of his chances this season and in the playoffs last year, he's a guy who could eventually play higher up the lineup. Um, 
Ian McIntyre here on Sportsnet 650. We got about a minute left here, but um, that's everybody, half every, an answer for me, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just want this. Is, it's kind of like the slow uh, the, the before we bring up the music, right, uh, at an awards ceremony. But okay. but we've got everybody was kind of cringing here two weeks ago when Jim Benning spoke to the media and said, "Look, we got 16 games to go before the trade deadline. We'll figure it out." We're talking 11 now, before April 12th. Um, give me a sense of where the latest – like, none of this is changing the plans here, right? Like, that's what I think yeah. some people are suddenly cringing about this team on a run. But, you know, what's the approach or, or does some of this change this organization's mindset and say, ah, oh, maybe maybe dare, dare we hang on to some of these assets and just use the cap space at the end of the season? You just took up most of the minute asking me that question. <laughs> I know. I'm that's sorry. Fair. Hey, that, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's a total yeah, fair. Yeah, well, the, the quote he had was, we're living day by day. And, of course, some people um, took that quote and applied it to things other than the answer uh, for which it was intended, which was mm-hmm. specifically about the trade deadline and how they're going to approach it. So the fact that they're more in the race now than they were then I think they'll keep assessing it uh, day by day. And if hopefully uh, at the deadline with at least one or two of their assets that aren't going to be back, they can, they can leverage a, a draft pick. But the, uh, the more that they're in this race, uh, the less inclined Travis Green is going to be to have his GM trade away players that he wants or feels he needs. So we'll see. Thank you, Imac. All right. No, me, I was waiting for the music to come on. You got. You know. You. I was. You know what? By the way, here's a foul for you guys struggling to identify what the Chicago Bulls entrance theme was last night. The app from the Alan Parsons Project, Sirius, and I'm listening to you and Walker talking Enter Sandman and. Uh, come on. Oh, man, I was no, ready to climb through. I, I was Sorry. ready to climb through that Sportsnet app listening to you guys and strangle both of you last night, McIntyre. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> well, How do you not know? I don't know the I'm name not, of the I'm song. Not, yeah, I'm not but, a basketball but, guy. I know it's been used by other teams as entrance music. It was also the original entrance theme to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat long before the Bulls were oh, please. as well. So Listen, and that was the entrance theme for every high school <laughs> basketball team in North America for a decade as well. See, we're, we're, giving you, we're sharing our knowledge with you after you shared 20 minutes of your wisdom with us. Thanks, Well, Ian. I appreciate it. See you guys. <laughs> the man. Later, Thanks, buddy. There he is. Here, our Sportsnet Canucks insider, Ian McIntyre, uh, weighing in on where the Canucks sit here, uh, entering a huge two-game series in Montreal coming up tomorrow night. All right, 24 minutes after 8 o'clock. This is the starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. He's Perry Solkowski. I'm James Sabalski. In a moment, have you got your bracket filled out just yet? Are you ready to go we're going to help you fill out the bracket if you haven't just yet alvin williams sportsnet basketball analyst he's played in the dance he's a supernova guy villanova style we're talking march madness next right here on your home of the canucks sportsnet 650 welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 
831, rain in the forecast and lots of it for the foreseeable future here on uh, this Thursday morning. High at 12 degrees. James Sabalski, Perry Selkowski, your starting lineup this hour presentation of Surrey Honda. Visit Nasir and the gang over at Surrey Honda located at 152nd and Fraser Highway where you'll find quality and community. Pair, a lot of people uh, jumping in on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. We'll talk to Sportsnet basketball analyst uh, uh, Alvin Williams here could, coming up in just a moment. But uh, a lot of people kind of talking about, hey, look, um, where this direction is going with respect to the Vancouver Canucks is we're, what, three weeks now from the NHL trade deadline. Um, whether you stand pat or whether this run is starting to change the conversation. Uh, one person texting in, I don't buy that. The Canucks trade deadline strategy should be set by now and no change in the standings at this point mm-hmm. should change that. Day by day means still no plan. And yes, fans have full reason to question that. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I think you are you a buyer or are you a seller? That's always the question. I, I don't believe that this hockey team is is set to challenge for a Stanley Cup, and nor does their general manager. But to be asked a question when the team was in a funk and you've had such a bad start two weeks ago, Jim Benning was right when he said how many games were left. I don't, I don't think it changes a whole lot. I think the Jimmy VC move is a smart move, and it also insulates you in the sense if you do lose a guy. Because getting rid of your Pearsons or other guys who might be getting phone calls for and not replacing with an NHL body is unfair. So what you get is another NHL body to deal with. The money works, and I think it was a move looking forward. But, hey, what's Jim Benning going to say? Yes, we're getting rid of everybody now. I don't think day-to-day means he doesn't know what he's doing. It's just a matter of if it's sunny or it's raining outside. Disagree with that. You disagree with that. Okay. Uh, let's uh, We'll touch on more of this. 650-650, uh, the Dunbar Lumber text line, if you want to uh, jump on board. Uh, but as March Madness, uh, hey, the first four go tonight. The real madness begins tomorrow. And let's bring in a guy who knows all about the madness, Villanova alumni, Mr. Alvin Williams, Sportsnet basketball analyst. Alvin, welcome back to the show, man. How like Is this Christmas for you as a ball fan? Oh man, this is this is the best time of the year, man. You get a chance, give it, give you a chance to uh, relax a little bit during the day. I'm not sure if this, this is adult radio, but uh, get a couple <laughs> of beverages during the midday it gives you an excuse to, to be be a kid again. Oh, day so, drinking! Yeah, I, I love you're you're, you're subscribing to day drinking, are you? I like it. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely, definitely. <laughs> but I'm an old man now, so I just fall asleep even earlier. So it's just uh, it's a great time. But the intensity that you get from this, and it's the time of the year that you see the passion and you can see the highs and the lows in a matter instinct, you know, in a second like, of being, you know, emotionally charged to the upset and the crying and all that stuff. So it's one of those things, emotionally it's a great time, but talent-wise and intensity and when everybody's putting it down for all the marbles, it's, it's, it's no better time than, you know, March Madness. Uh, Alvin, take us back to, to being in the tournament with, with Villanova. I, I mean, we talk about playoffs for pro athletes and, and the intensity ratchets up. When you're a kid, and for so many of them, this is the dream and this will be as far as they get. I mean, what were the nerves like for your squad as you finally make it to the dance? Was it, was it kind of comp- nothing you had reached at that point ever? Was it almost too nervous to play or was it just pure excitement? No, it's pure excitement. You know, my first year we weren't that good. We missed the playoff. We missed the uh, the tournament and went to the NIT. But we actually, my freshman year, we won the NIT. And then the following year, we had a very good season. We had just beat UConn in the Big East Championship. They were number one in the nation with Ray Allen and those guys. 
and we blew them out in the, in the finals of the Big East tournament. And first round, we lost to Old Dominion, triple overtime, upset. Oh. It, was, it was something where we walked in there. So I don't say cocky, but we were definitely confident that we were – I just remember looking at the bracket. Get, it was like, you know, we win this game. We're going to get an opportunity to play against UMass. They had Marcus Canby. So we're thinking like that, just like it was automatic. And before you know it, we were in a dogfight, and we didn't come out as the victors. And then after that, it became more stressful because it was like, all right, you do not want to be upset again. You do not want to be that team that's upset. And we had – we were always in the top ten, and we faced that upset, and we I hated that feeling. So I never got a chance after that to truly enjoy the NCAA tournament because I was petrified to lose you know, or be upset. And we, you know, unfortunately, we never got out of the second round. As talented as we were, we had Kerry Kittles, Tim Thomas. We had all these players come through in a, in a span, and we never could really exceed any um, expectations or our own expectations. So, But it was the greatest time. I just remember leaving the hotel. You had your band and the cheerleaders and the parents. You know, they're, they're walking you out. They're greeting you to the bus. But then when you come back with a loss, that's the emptiest, Emptiest hotel lobby. No one's there anymore. So it's one of those things, man. It's a great time all across the board, man. But I, I wouldn't trade it for anything because you grew up thinking of that. You grew up watching those games. You grew up, you know, listening to the music, the themes, the Cinderella stories. And, and it was it was nothing like that ever. I've never matched any intensity or anything like that and excitement in my life. Well, you'll appreciate the fact that I was going through an old box of sports cards uh, upstairs the other day, and I came across my Kerry Kittles rookie card from '96 <laughs> the other day. Um, okay, so Villanova's a a five seed, and that's man, that's a that's a danger zone for five seeds because there's always a lot of upsets with the twelves in that. I want to get to that in a moment here. Alvin Williams on Sportsnet 650. Here's my final four bracket that I've filled out here, Alvin. You can tell me if I'm crazy or how much of a genius I am. I got Iowa, Michigan, Baylor, Illinois, two Big Tens, and in the final, I've got Michigan led by, man, I'm, I'm totally going fan favorite here because I'm a big Jawan Howard guy, but I've got mm-hmm, Michigan. Mm-hmm. I've got Michigan over Baylor in the national championship. I mean, it's not. I don't think you have enough upsets in there. I don't. I, don't I know that's it. my only thing. Yeah. I got too many. I got too many twos and ones. That's the only thing that I. The, the, I'm, I'm a little too Captain Obvious on this. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I'm I'm not proud to say it. I have lost touch of NCAA basketball, like knowing the teams. Of course, I know Villanova because I, I mean I watch them. Yeah. But as far as the other teams, I'm like you. I'm Michigan because I love Jawan Howard. I love what he stands for. I was a big <laughs> fan of his growing up, even though we're peers. But I was always uh, admired him and how he handled his business on and off the court. So I'm yeah. a big fan of Jawan Howard. Mm-hmm. And I, but I just. You know the players—they leave so early, right? It's, it's the one and done. It's, it's, it's so many. It's hard. Teams and players. It's hard to follow people. You don't have the yeah. allegiance to the teams and players any longer. Like I grew up being a Georgetown Oya guy. Yeah. Patrick Ewing is going to be shout out to Patrick. Yeah. Big East yeah. champions. Oh, yeah. Big East champions. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. So but hey, man, I'm going with you. I like I like the idea. Other than you don't have Villanova in there, I, I'll have to go with the Michigan <laughs> the Michigan piece because I am a Jordan Howard fan. Elvin, is it easy to be a star like Howard, like Patrick Ewing, and coach these kids? I mean, should they get more credit for being relatable, coming back to their schools and wanting to be a part of it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is because it's not only it's the pressure, and you're not just dealing with 
and just your regular person going back to these universities. You're dealing with megastars. You're dealing with trendsetters. You know, me growing up, Patrick Ewing and Georgetown Hoyas, that's what it was about. If you had a Georgetown starter jacket walking around in Philadelphia mm-hmm. or anywhere, they represented something just for our community, especially the black community, the inner city community. And Patrick Ewing was someone that I saw an opportunity to remember. I remember one of his first interviews with him, you know, you just saw his development over the four years of conducting interviews and how he handled himself with the media and things like that. And then Jawan Howard, you know, being a part of the Fab Five. And we know what that is, right? And that's just a generational, that's a cultural thing as well. And he being a part of it, being able to go back and being an integral piece of their, their success and raising the, those universities back up to where we know them always to be traditionally, you got to take your hat off to them. And I know it's a challenge, you know, emotionally. I know it's a challenge personally. But more so, when you're that good as the players that those guys are, it's hard to, you know, get someone to understand and, and, and meet your criteria of what people are supposed to be like. So if you see people like that doing well as coaches that were that talented, they have an ultimate human connection with the players and their families, and you got to take your hat off to them. I don't think, just on a side note here, I don't know if Patrick Ewing was ever fully appreciated for just how great a player he was when you look at how far the Knicks went year after year. And if you look at it really in his prime years, who was his best complimentary player in his time? Probably Charles Oakley, right? You could make Mm -hmm, a case mm -hmm. for a couple of guys, you know, and and on the back end of his career, there was a little more depth with Allen Houston. But, man, all those years through the late 80s, all through the mid-90s, having to deal with the Bulls and the Celtics and the Pistons, I mean, it was Patrick and, what, Derek Harper, Go Greg Anthony, yeah. like no disrespect to those, like solid character guys and all that, but I mean Patrick kind of did it alone outside of Charles Oakley, and I mean Oak's great, but he's not a big, he's not a a, a, a one, he's not one of three alphas or something like. That. He's not a LeBron Wade and Bosch kind of thing, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 and you look at the games that the teams are different the way they're structured, but if you do look at the Knicks, especially when they had Pat Riley as their coach, it was something where their team makeup. You know, they fit the identity of a Charles Oakley. And tough, Ewing. tough. You could, you could Anthony Mason. Star. Yeah, Anthony Mason. You know, you had you had uh, Herb Williams. You had, you know, like Charles said, Smith. Derek Harper. Charles Smith. These guys were tough guys, and that was a tough team. It was just so happy. I don't know if you guys follow boxing wholeheartedly and things, but back in the 80s when you had, like, in a – Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard and Tommy Hearns and Roberto. We just Durant. talked about this. Yeah. Hell of a fighter, right? And you could lose at yeah. any time because you were fighting another great, you know, fighter. And I think that was the same thing with, you know, the 80s and the 90s with the Knicks. They were a great team. And then when they did get to the finals, then you bump into Akeem Olajuwon, right, in 94, yeah. 95. So it's one of those things where the championships aren't for everyone, but no doubt about it, Pastor Ewing carried that city, carried that team, that franchise, you know, for his duration. And, and you got to take your hat off once again to Patrick Ewing and what he did. But, Alvin, to that end, and I, I get a feeling I know where you're going to go with this. You know, we talked about it's one and done so often. Ewing and Georgetown, you see Freddie Brown give the ball away, but they're coming back next year. You <laughs> said it with your Villanova team. You're back. You get to know these guys. Uh, we had Robert Sacra on yesterday. Of course, the Gonzaga guy says, you know, they're chasing perfection, mm-hmm. and they may get it. But is college basketball as good as it was 20 years ago? No. No. It's, 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 not, it's not as good as it was. And 
the college basketball that we we've learned to love it was the makeup of it it wasn't necessarily always the talent of course the players were talented but when you can get a chance to grow with it with the school and you can grow with the players and you have that a uh, alliance you know it, it's those things you, you can just grow like i just look yeah. at you know when i was at villanova being there for four years i remember going to you know freshman orientation with non-athletes right just just your student body but senior year you're going with them you're out you're there they're cheering for you they see you develop and there's more of a passion behind it because you're more invested so it's it's one of those things and i believe that emotion and that you know that that type of talent and that type of maturity that came from these teams you watch them grow that that's what makes it better but the one thing i will say now that these top schools the big schools they have the one and done and the younger players it gives these mid-majors you know, who players are more mature, they're stronger, and, and they're there for four years to give them more of a fighting chance to compete. And that's when you see the Gonzagas, you see the Butlers, you see school like that in the past that's been really good and upsetting some of these big-name schools because it's more, you know, it's more diverse, it's more spread out, it's more parity when you're dealing with these teams. Okay, we got to get running here. Uh, I've got Georgetown as we continue Patrick Ewing Tribute Day. Uh, I got Georgetown falling to Michigan, so they're they're getting to at least the Sweet Sixteen on my end. But how far is your uh, how how far is Villanova getting? They they open up against a team that went twenty three and one this year with Winthrop. So, what do you, how far is Villanova going? I'm very nervous due to that. We have injuries, Colin <laughs> Gillespie. You know, geez, I'm I'm, I'm nervous and. Justin Moore, he, he's probably the backup, and he's he's banged up a bit. But I feel like Jay, he's going to put it together. He put it together. Guys do play hard. They remind me a lot of Toronto Raptors. You know they're going to play their butts off even when they're under man. But it's so unpredictable. But I cannot be heard on record and, and recorded on record saying Villanova will not go to the championship. <laughs> I'm glad, I got Villanova going to the, going to the finals. Okay. So so, so take the so that. take the twelve so take the twelve seed tomorrow then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how about that? <laughs> Thanks, Alvin. Great to catch Thanks, up, Alvin. man. Thanks for having me, guys, as always. Enjoy uh, enjoy the middle aged version of watching the tournament tomorrow on the couch with a few bevies as uh, Alvin subscribes <laughs> to. Uh, there he is, Sportsnet basketball uh, analyst uh, Alvin Williams here, looking ahead to March Madness. Uh, it's the first four later on today, and the real madness gets going tomorrow. Eight forty five. Some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul show next, right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet six fifty. <laughs> Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, 10 minutes to uh, 9 o'clock. Sabolski, uh, Solkowski, a presentation of Surrey Honda. Visit Surrey Honda located at 152nd and Fraser Highway where you'll find quality and community. Pair, a huge one tonight. Tan Beer texting in at 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line pointing this out. Uh, Jets and Oilers. Six o'clock puck drop tonight. Uh, two teams uh, right now tied for second in the NHL's North Division. Uh, the Oilers one game in hand on the Canucks. I feel like if there's a team that you're going to look to try to catch, the Oilers are probably the more realistic one. Six-point gap between the Canucks and the Oilers right now. You don't want a three-point game between these two teams, but if you're if you're if you're paying attention and if you have your fingers crossed in hopes that the Canucks can make a run here, this is a game you're keeping close tabs on tonight. 
A lot of math involved. You know, last night if things went the Canucks way, they would have been four points out of second place. So Tam Beer makes a fair point, right? If if Winnipeg wins, and I think Winnipeg's the better hockey team, uh, that gap is six points, but you've got the Oilers four more times. So in essence, you can say with the same amount of games played, because this is it, the Oilers will have played the same amount of games the Canucks after tonight, you can go, they're only six up on us, and there's still eight points available when we play them. So every night you have to figure out who am I cheering for tonight, but Tambir is correct. Uh, to give the Canucks a better shot at it, they will have control of their games against the Oilers. So we do cheer for the Jets to win. That would be the case. Who knows what you get in Edmonton, right? Got some big saves early on, and then they steamroll Calgary, uh, and Winnipeg bounces back, and, but they can't close out until they get to OT against the, against the Habs last night. So... Take care of business. That's what the Canucks have been doing, and I guess it's, it's brought them back into the conversation and all these different scenarios. Got a tweet from uh, Anil Sharma on Twitter uh, messaging me, at James Sabalski and uh, asking, can all Vancouver sports media tweets from this point forward be about extending Ian Clark until it happens? Well, also, can he be the first goalie coach to win the Jack Adams? You know, it's a fair point, but if Ian Clark's not signing the extension, I don't think that's coming before Travis Green is. And only we know. I remember the piece of video that the Canucks showed in the bubble. And it was when Ian Clark had come in after Demko had played another great game and all the guys in the room go, oh, dad, here's dad. It's that kind of relationship. Son, father, the love and the respect that they have for each other. It's going to be a big missing piece if Ian Clark's not a part of it. Uh, coming up tomorrow, it is game day as the Canucks and the Habs collide in Montreal. We'll talk to Ron Stradamus as well, Ron McLean, who, what, three weeks ago made that bold Looking prediction better. that the Canucks yeah. were going to go on a run. And <laughs> here we are, 7-9 to nine later. Who saw that one coming? Ron did. We'll talk to Ron and much, much more on Friday. We're back at it. Same bad channel right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.